Welcome to Science or Fiction, a podcast by sci-fi author Michael James Sharon. In this program, we'll be discussing science, fiction, and the often blurred spaces between the two. Here we try to dispel common scientific misconceptions by both Hollywood and the media, even that which is meant to be educational. My background includes a Bachelor of Science and Master of Arts in Physics with experience in both R&D and production. I hope you enjoy these podcasts, and if there are comments or input, please direct them via contact page for my website, michaelsbookcorner.com. Tasha Nagorski Written by Michael James Sharon Presented by Michael James Sharon Copyright 2023 Chapter 1 Some are more equal than others. Tasha awoke with a start. Bleary-eyed, she stared at her clock, which read 4.24 a.m. The fire alarm klaxon was like a battering ram at each of her eardrums. This was the third time this month. Still, any blaze in the confines of the habitat was no joke. She quickly willed herself out of her warm bed, skipped the coveralls, and got directly into her environmental-slash-pressure suit. As part of the emergency response team, she had to snap into action anytime some idiot left a coffee pot unattended or spilled some noxious chemical outside of a fume hood. Honestly, did some of these Stanford yahoos get their degrees from a cracker jack box? She muttered to herself. She slipped into the scuba gear mounted on her wall, always charged with plenty of delicious O2. Wonderful, she grumbled. When one of these eggheads finally crosses the line and breaches a wall, I'll be among the last people here with a supply of air as they flip around on the floor like dying fish. I should have thought of that before I signed on to the emergency response team. Scratch that. Of course I did. I'm willing to drag my carcass out of bed for false alarms precisely for that reason. I want to stay alive. Motion sensors in her helmet switched on as soon as it was sealed. Was anything ever really turned off these days? Tasha had to wonder, even though she was an electrical engineer. Jenny, where are my guys right now? She asked the response team's AI computer. The ERT had their own robust systems separate from the habitat. The team is assembling, but only Jacobs and Olsen are available on comms, crooned the AI. Jenny, override all helmet links so I can chew each of them a new one, would you please? The team was assembling from different spokes of a habitat as a precaution against getting bunched up and are cut off from whatever event might arise. Helmet links are open, was all Jenny could offer. Rise and shine, team. This is Tasha Nagorski, and you had better check in ASAP. Olsen and Jacobs simultaneously yelled their names into their microphones. Montrose, Riley, and Chu came on milliseconds later. They were already complaining about the number of false alarms. Tasha said calmly, We all know what to do, boys and girls. Every alarm is treated as if it were our last. 
I know you didn't just sign up for the extra 20% and pay, right? If you are no longer enthusiastic, we can find something for you in waste disposal or solar panel dusting. Jenny, where is the assembly point? A facility map appeared in the heads-up displays of their helmets. Olson said, it's the Canadian Biolab again. This is their third time in as many months. Tasha ignored this and shouted, Just make sure you have your gear ready, Jenny. Are house emergency systems in working order? And do we have eyes in that lab? Jenny offered, The corridor emergency equipment is nominal and recently calibrated, but the local fire suppression units are not operational. Internal laboratory cameras have been obscured. Goddamn government unions, Tasha screamed. I told them two weeks ago to get all fire suppression systems online or there would be hell to pay. Jacobs added, they know there will be no hell to pay. They're in the union. She knew this to be true, but could never admit it publicly. If this facility were in the new settlements, she would have the entire infrastructure department, starting with its director, sacked and bring in responsible contractors. The team assembled at the entrance of Biolab Canada, indicated by the maple leaf tag over the door panel. All were fully decked out with helmets locked, suits pressurized. Montrose, what's up with the door? Barked Tasha. I'm sorry, ma'am. The door is locked from the inside. Jenny, can you override? Doors in locked position remain locked to limit the spread of fires, chemicals, or radiation by panicked workers. Those flouting safety protocols use this to their advantage. Access granted, Jenny responded. Heat, radiation, and chemical sensors indicated it was safe for the team to proceed. Tasha entered first. And just what exactly are you doing there, Mr. Safford? Tom Safford was perched precariously high on a lab stool, poking at a smoke alarm with a screwdriver. He knew he had been caught, but exclaimed, Oh, I didn't want to worry you folks, but this smoke alarm seems to be faulty. I was trying to disable it to prevent just what is happening. Riley asked, Jenny, is there anything wrong with the fire detection systems? Jenny quickly answered, Ms. Riley, all fire radiation and chemical detection systems are in perfect working order for calibration and preventative maintenance protocols. Riley asked, Jenny, what is your analysis of this item smoldering in the Petri dish? Jenny was at the ready, as all good AIs are. Vapor constituents consistent with combustion or organic matter of the type C sativa compound of delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol are present in significant proportions. Olson chuckled. Evidently, Mars is not high enough for the Canucks that came all this way to develop a special strain of space weed. I think it's about time they replaced the maple leaf on their flag. This was just typical, Tasha thought to herself. In another 10 seconds, without local chemical suppressants, we would have doused the entire lab with half of the habitat's water supply for the week. She said, I would not look so complacent if I were you, Thomas. If we had to turn on the sprinklers, we would use a considerable amount of water. The shortfall would be made up by rationing in the other habitats, 
Water is not only necessary for life support, showers, and agriculture, but for several research projects. You work in this lab, so you should know. Riley followed. Riley followed. Who would be held responsible for what? Would young Mr. Safford here be sent back to Earth on the next transport, or would he find himself inconveniently outside of an airlock with no pressure suit? Government drones have a survival instinct. They're highly predatory, with no compunction for eliminating their own to save themselves. Tasha gave the go-ahead for the team to depressurize and remove their helmets. Young Safford was down off the stool, and the joint put out. He looked guilty, but by no means penitent. Good work, people, even though there was once again no actual emergency, your response time was acceptable. But let's try to trim it down some. And make sure to get those helmet links working a few seconds faster next time, all right? The department heads are assembling, so I need to go. Maybe I'll even get an hour of sleep before my shift starts. It would be at least a half hour before they could process the adrenaline, so her team walked off toward the commissary. Now it was time for Tasha to prepare herself, mentally and physically, she said. Safford, you know you can't just slink off again. Your presence is required before the committee as well as mine. Before there's time to construct another story, Safford was happy-go-lucky like nothing had ever happened. Tasha thought, he's not evil or even tedious. He's not smart enough for that. He's just led a charmed life. The department heads were yawning but present from engineering, physics, biology, infrastructure, and the rest. With his stint on Mars being over, Phillips had just gone back to Earth. Tasha did not know who was acting head of the Mars-UN-International Station, Munis, M-U-N-I-S, but had a bad feeling. This was just a conference room, but somehow the bureaucrats turned it into a quasi-tribunal. Or had they come up with a daze for a conference room? Biting her tongue, Tasha watched as Dr. Colleen Safford stepped onto the center platform. That one foot of elevation over her colleagues made so much difference. Tasha's boss, Franco Cassini, gave her a knowing look, glanced at Colleen briefly, then with genuine mirth rolled his eyes as he looked back at Tasha. He could read her thoughts from there. The semi-formal proceeding was public, but few wished to attend such an event at 5.30 in the morning. Olson came back with a large cup of coffee and offered another to Tasha. What can I say, Tash? I have just enough morbid curiosity to torture myself with this, and I knew you'd have a Mondo Java craving for coping purposes. He smiled. Gimme, she said greedily. They watched as Thomas Savard up on the days, pleaded and gesticulated with his aunt before things got underway. Olson continued. This looks like an open and shut case to me. Clearly, the joint lit itself on fire, unbeknownst to young Thomas here, and the cameras blacked out all by themselves. Tasha knew he was right in that cynical way that mirrored her own. Still, she girded her loins, as it were, and hugged the pleasantly warm coffee cup. Good God, Tasha whispered. Does Colleen have a gavel? Does she have a scepter and orb of office as well? Olsen answered. If some goon comes in and asks, slash, 
demands for everyone to rise, then I won't be responsible for my actions. Tasha knew he was half serious, so put her hand on his arm to bring him back to reality. Dr. Safford was surprisingly, or perhaps not so surprisingly, calm. She banged the gavel twice, saying, None of us wants to be here this early in the morning, so let's proceed. Ms. Nagorski, do you have a report on this latest safety incident? Tasha activated the conference room viewer with the ERT record. The large display showed the Canadian laboratory with vantage points from her helmet and body cams, along with one or two from her team. All communications between ERT members, their AI, Jenny, and the technician were played for the operations committee. Tasha concluded, So, in short, it appears Mr. Thomas Safford broke protocol by lighting a fire in an unauthorized area. The very fact that the cameras were taped over is clear evidence of a premeditated act with no thought of the consequences for the rest of the facility. This is an annoyance, but it could have had us on water rations for the next two weeks if he had activated the sprinkler system. The chemical suppression units, after two weeks downtime, still have not been repaired. She looked at Robert Abernathy, Department Head for Infrastructure, as she closed. He promptly looked away. Yes, 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 said Dr. Safford. None of us wanted to be rousted from our warm beds at this hour. We feel your pain, believe me. That is no excuse to get all high up on the justice horse, even if we had horses on Mars. No one in the room laughed. It was now Olson's turn to place a hold on Tasha's arm to stem her building rage. Doing her best to keep it together, Tasha bit her lip and responded, Pardon me. This is for Dr. Safford and the rest of the committee. Just last week, two of my engineers were written up for implementing a quick soldering job needed to keep the water purifiers online. We did that repair without turning off the power in violation of basic safety practices. All to keep your labs running. Are there to be no consequences for Mr. Safford here? The conflict of interest in this proceeding is glaring and immense, yet no one wishes to comment. Well, I'm commenting now. Thomas Safford is a hapless wanderer through life who has been protected every step of the way. He's not dumb, only lacking education from supposedly responsible people around him. He's a menace to himself and others on this station. Dr. Safford was nonplussed. She knew absolutely Tasha had nailed it, yet double-think in a lifetime of making special rules for herself and her cronies only made her angry that someone had spoken the obvious. The color rising in her cheeks might be ire or humiliation, yet it did not matter. Yes, er, well, I believe this committee has all of the relevant information. Please transfer your records to our system and we will get back to everyone in time. Olson whispered as Tasha slowly sat down. Our boss here, Cassini, is a great guy to work for and runs a lot of interference for his engineers. But he's afraid of this woman, so he won't speak up. The other department heads, like Abernathy, are cowards, fools, or both. Safford's government and UN connections make sure everyone toes the line. As the committee was rising, Dr. Safford pulled herself together for a parting strike. 
Ms. Nagorski, I suggest that you get a firm handle on your emergency response team. Threatening station personnel with spacing is extremely serious. I will overlook it this time, but be warned. Olsen quietly restrained Tasha as department heads filed out of the conference room. She was seething. I tell you what, Tash, let me buy you a nice big pancake and egg breakfast in the commissary. You need fuel if you're planning a multiple homicide. Tasha stared blankly into space for about five seconds, then physically relaxed. All right, Olsen, let's go. I need a distraction from that circus we just witnessed. Let's get out of our pressure suits. I'm sweating like a pig without the enviro controls running. I'll meet you there in 20 minutes. Tasha swung by her quarters, stripped out of her pressure suit, and took a fast shower. In space or on another planet, one learns how to conserve water. Back in her most comfortable overalls, she would be ready for her shift after breakfast. Pulling the recording chip from her suit, she waved it over the transfer port of her computer to shoot the records to the committee. Then she downloaded another copy for herself. Tasha met Olson at the entrance to the commissary where they spotted the table they wanted. A booth was occupied by the rest of the team who were just leaving. The only ones remaining were food handler robots occupied with warming and preparation. Moving along with their trays, Tasha Nagorski and Brandon Olson forked a few of the fluffy pancakes from the bin, along with scrambled eggs and ersatz veggie bacon, then juice and more coffee. The commissary AI logged their meals and inquired who would pay. As they sat down, Tasha confided, Honestly, Brandon, I don't know if I'm up to doing this for another three years. You see the incompetence and hypocrisy we have to put up with every day. Olson replied, To tell you the truth, Tash, I'm a bit surprised you stayed on this long. It must be your stubborn nature or talent that's, that sustains you. How are you going to hang on that long when you've reached this stage? I can barely stand it, and I don't have to deal with as much crap as you do. I'm not paid enough, but then again, neither are you. Tasha stared into the distance as the robots put out more pancakes. She'd barely registered what Olsen was saying. Snapping back to attention, she said, Brandon, do you ever think of just leaving? I mean, what's really stopping you? What's stopping me, for that matter? She saw that look of apprehension flow into his normally buoyant face. She knew it was a sensitive subject. Pulling himself together, Olsen tread lightly. Tasha, you know I love you like a sister, but have you had these thoughts for long? I mean, once you leave, you can never come back. Or if you do, you're in the next Earth or lunar transport. Then you'll spend the next five or ten years working off the cost of hauling you out here and back. Tasha smiled. Brandon, you know I love you like a brother, but do you have to be so cautious about everything? You need to look out for yourself enough to get some enjoyment out of life, don't you? I know you're not really happy, and you share my opinion of the people running this place. Most are marginally competent, but first and foremost, they're compliant to a fault. They will eat whatever their masters put in that sandwich and pretend to like it. People say we have it so much better than they did in the 19th century company towns 
with company stores and company rules over every aspect of their lives. How is this any different? The company is that same government who claims to have saved you from turn of the 20th century drudgery. As in any one company town, they call the shots and know they can get away with anything. Deep down, Brandon knew she was right. It is amazing the capacity we have for defying the better angels of our nature, he replied. Of course I've thought of all that. I think about it several times a week whenever some dolt shorts out a piece of irreplaceable equipment, threatens a quarter of our power storage, burns up a pump, or whatever. They told me as an electrical engineer I would be doing cutting-edge design to advance colonization, not acting as a glorified appliance repairman. There is nothing wrong with doing maintenance because these idiots would have the place in a shambles otherwise. It's just not what I signed on to do. They lied to me. Tasha was listening intently to her friend. Brandon didn't usually open up like this. He had been betrayed too many times. She offered, You see, I knew I hadn't misjudged where your feelings really lay. We're simpatico on a lot of this stuff. You have a decent sense of right and wrong when it comes to others, but you absorb a lot of abuse that you shouldn't tolerate. There are no extra credit points or additional lashes, only additional scars. Just think of yourself a bit more. That's not selfish. Look at it this way. Are you doing the world a favor by withholding your incredible talents as an engineer? Do you think they can't replace their number one toaster repairman with the next warm body they can they con into a transport? They're stealing your talent and you're letting them get away with it. We want to guilt you or threaten you with all the consequences for canceling your contract, but you have options. You have cards of your own to play. I'll consider what you said, since your gut instincts are usually right, Olson said. Just think on this a bit more, will you? If either of us leaves, we can likely never come back, unless their bills get paid. That means a real commitment to the frontier, the frontier way of life, and the outrageous, unpredictable nature of the frontier. That means years of work, or maybe the rest of our lives, separated from Earth, and Earth's lunar outposts. If we get into trouble, none of them will come to our aid unless we turn ourselves in. Chapter 2. Going Across After three weeks, no response was forthcoming from the operating committee regarding the Canadian Biolab incident or repercussions for Thomas Safford. Olson was in the middle of repairing an ultrasonic bath in chemistry when he received a text from Tasha. Cryptically, it read, Meet me outside of atmosphere processing at 7.30 p.m. Brandon texted back, What's up? The only response was, Meet me there at 7.30. Come dressed in civvies. Something warm. Brandon was doing a slow burn over the likes of young Thomas Safford. It must be nice, he said out loud. The scientist from Belgium asked, What must be nice, monsieur? Olsen replied, Oh, nothing. Just saying it must be nice for you to have this sonic bath back in working order is all. The chemist looked confused. Brandon looked confused, like he did not know if he should wait for a tip or not. The chemist did not know if he was obliged to offer one. 
He merely said, Oh, oui, monsieur, c'est très bon. Merci beaucoup. He nervously smiled and returned to his work, while Brandon packed up his tools. He knew something was up, as Tasha was never shy about revealing her plans. She didn't want any excuses later for people claiming not to be in the know. It was good strategy, he thought, but knew better to press for hints when she was like this. Time to see Cassini. Cassini was in his office, poring over plans for some great project for which there was laughably inadequate resources. Brandon knocked. Dr. Cassini, do you have a moment? Cassini threw up his hands, not for Brandon's sake, but out of general disgust. I do not know why we are going over these plans time and time again. It proves nothing unless we can build something, Brandon said. Dr. Cassini, that is precisely why I am here. When are we going to build something? You guys worked it every which way to get me here, and now I am repairing foot massage baths and electric toothbrushes. Incidentally, why are those things here? They are not on the basic equipment and personal items list I was given. Cassini was not a bad sort. He was an engineer, not a bureaucrat with responsibilities, but no authority. His fortunes ebbed and flowed in the wakes of people like Dr. Safford. That being said, Brandon thought he should stand up to her ilk more often. Brandon pressed. Do you at least have a timeline for when we'll start some of the projects that were shown in the glossy brochure? Matching Brandon's frustration, he was more candid. Mr. Olson, I feel your pain. Believe me. I too wished you just get on with it, as the Americans say. But my hands, they're tied, no? Olson was not in the mood to be his usual acquiescent self today. Not since that conversation with Tasha in the commissary. Be that as it may, Dr. Cassini, that does not really answer my question. What are you being told? I see the news from Earth, but frankly, we both know that it's for the consumption of those ignorant of how things work out here. Amazingly, money is always found for one project or another. Just as amazing, it is quickly snatched away from areas where it had been promised. The popular news has little to do with budgets. It is a collection of fairy tales told by the media, fed to them by politicians. I've never seen a ledger showing what gets spent and where, have you? Cassini sighed, knowing he should not try to put Brandon off. I will answer your question honestly. The honest answer is that I do not know. That is my frustration. I know you and Tasha especially are upset, and you have every right to be. All I could do is find challenging work when I can and toss it your way. The big projects seem to have bogged down, and I cannot get straight answers myself. I only hope that you will hold on and be patient. That work will come, but as with everything in government, just when is the issue? There was no more information to be harvested from Cassini. Olson said, I appreciate getting a straight answer as much as you were able, and left for his quarters. He had time to get some dinner, a shower, and dig out some clothes to wear before meeting Tasha. Most people farther down the ladder never took off the government-issued garb, as the washing was free and there was no place to go without running into more Munis personnel. It was a drab existence, just the way their overseers wanted it. Atmosphere processing was on the short spoke of the complex at a dead end. 
There were no residences or labs there and almost no foot traffic. Tasha was waiting in a heavy black sweater and dark pants. Her blonde hair was tied up in a bun. I was beginning to think you wouldn't make it there, bro, she said as Brandon approached. Of course, she knew he would be too curious to pass this up. Olsen replied, you know me better than that. When you get secretive, that gets me more than curious. The game must be afoot. Olsen smiled as he willed himself to stop thinking about Thomas Safford for a while. Next, Tasha said, Get ready then, because we're going across. Hearing this, Brandon paused, nearly losing his bravado. What? How? What did you? Tasha smiled and said, Come on, live a little. What are they going to do? Toss you into the brig? Who would repair their toasters? Well, you know what happened the last time and only time I went across. Cassini's predecessor, Saito, dressed me down in front of the whole department just because he could. Tasha replied, I know, but so many people do it that it's barely even considered a violation, and the last director was a hard ass. Going across meant leaving the confines of Munis and traveling a relatively short distance to the new settlements part of the Mars frontier. There was no government there simply because no one was interested in one and all would fight attempts to establish any overseers. They had their own way of doing things, leaving people free to live and work in peace. Tasha and Brandon entered the rover through the back end, which made a tight seal with the airlock of the government hub. Though there were vast differences between the government and free mindsets, all agreed that a universal airlock mating system was vital. Tasha said, A friend of mine from the far side sent us this rig to get across, so we're not burning any tax dollars to make this trip. That should put even Dr. Safford's mind at ease, Olson said. I did not want to be reminded of the likes of Safford, but I'm in too good of a mood. This excursion is just what I needed. I'll close down the hatches and we'll get this show on the road. Heading into the marsh in winter night, Brandon told Tasha about his visit with Cassini. Tasha said, You know, Olson, there is a lot of activity over here. You must be keeping up with some of the advances. Tasha knew that he was since she'd seen several of his viewer tabs marking articles on frontier projects. You're right. Our news is so screwed up we have grossly limited view of the new settlements. I had no idea. Look at all the lights. Where do they get the power? Don't they have rationing like we do? Tasha replied. There are three large power plants, but a lot of settlers just generate their own in small co-ops. You know they used to mine waste fields in the government sector to recover reflectors and sterling engines? They don't get taxpayer-bought goodies on a regular basis like we do and don't have nearly as many idiots breaking equipment because they own it themselves. They're always coming up with ways to improve things while you and I struggle just to maintain ours. Brandon respected the equipment and what went into it from a design perspective. He had few kind things to say about those who abused it. He said, I'm liking these frontiers men and women more and more.
So when do I get a briefing on this secret mission of yours? He said. Usually I have a little more heads up than this. Tasha smiled. We're going to see a friend of mine. Just relax. He suggested a meetup at the Harsh Mistress. That's on the same tunnel as the Hotel Bradbury. Olson looked slightly alarmed. That's not far from the Bezos Strip Mall. Isn't that a rather seedy area? I've heard stories. Natasha laughed. Come on, tough guy, you can handle it. Those stories are just stories. They're like those dime novels from the old American West. They're titillating tales for folks back on Earth. They're probably sponsored by their governments as propaganda. The unknowing sheep must have a sense of manifest destiny if they're to save the poor savage pioneers from themselves. Olson did relax and sat back in his seat as the rover approached the new settlements. They passed the ever-improving Millican Station spaceport and approached a docking bay leading to the tubes and tunnels. Tasha expertly rotated the vehicle 180 degrees and switched to the rear-facing cameras. Olson said, Tasha, you seem pretty adept at maneuvering this thing. Just how often do you make excursions outside the habitat? Tasha gave him a playful look and winked. Don't worry, Brandon. I'm not involved in any smuggling of equipment or supplies. Leave that to the relatives of our so-called betters. You know I would not do anything to endanger the lives of folks back there. They're human beings, after all, so God help them. With a satisfying jolt and a resounding hiss, the seals for the airlock were clamped tight. Pressure equalized. Since you haven't been across more than once, you'll want to be on your best behavior. They don't go in for titles or resume padding here. They reserve judgment on us government drones and have plenty of historical reasons to be suspicious. That's why our tunics or coveralls are best traded for civvies. No need to draw unwanted attention. Even then, even then, they'll show you're an earth contractor or a newbie if you keep bobbing your head about like that. It had been a while. Brandon had forgotten the stark contrast on the far side. Okay, Tash, I'm doing my best not to be a bobblehead, but look at the colors, he whispered loudly. Tasha put her arm under his and tried to make him look more normal. She said, Yes, it's funny how we forget there are even our colors, though we do dress up our private quarters. You'd think even with uniforms, they could do better than grays, browns, and dark dingy tones. Olson thought on this. Right, even the supervisors and governors are in uniform most of the time, unless they're having one of their exclusive private parties. It's like there are unwritten sumptuary laws to constantly remind us of their status, all with badges and braids. Even so, ours is supposed to be a civilian operation. Tasha turned serious. Certainly, after that fiasco with Senator Cho and her so-called rogue operation, the masks are off. People on Earth believe what they hear from the parties, the media, and controlled opposition. It makes me ashamed to be associated with their shenanigans, because there are always shenanigans. But rightly or wrongly, I'm now on Mars, and so are you. The question is, where do we go from here? With this, Brandon replied, I would tell anyone other than you that I'm feeling manipulated right now. But we both know that won't fly. 
I'm here with you of my own free will, knowing in advance that what the consequences are for what you're contemplating. Say, isn't that the harsh mistress up ahead? The lava tube was a bit narrow here, but the purveyors had carved a larger space into the side of the tunnel. There was lively music emanating from each of the entryways. Pioneers in the new settlements generally wore older, more casual clothes or work clothes. Even then, they were more colorful than what government employees were used to. Young Thomas Safford was not a newbie and blended in. He often frequented the frontier on his own, or with his near-to-well compatriots, all offspring or relatives of the scientists banished to Mars for years at a time. There were many who would go to the ends of the Earth or Mars for a chance to do cutting-edge science. However, several of the denizens were there as political outcasts, either for asking indelicate questions about the system or through the personal animus of superiors. They liked to think their exile was temporary and they would soon be back in the game. Safford felt the sting of embarrassment from Taj's highly accurate portrayal of him in front of the department heads. He would not spy on her directly. His girlfriend, Gina, would do that as she would not be recognized. Gina, go ahead and follow them after a minute or two. I'll stay out here and keep an eye on the exits. Gina messaged him. Tell me again, Tommy. What am I supposed to be looking for? Safford tried to be patient. But Gina was not so quick on the uptake in matters of skullduggery. Like I said, Gina, just watch them, see who they talk to, for how long, and if you're able at all, record what they're saying, if you can get close enough. At the very least, get video of everything, even if it doesn't look suspicious. I can analyze it for all later with the lip-reading algorithms, but I need data. Gina was a very attractive redhead at 22 years old. She was smart, just not devious like Thomas. He told her of a suspected smuggling of station property by Tasha and Brandon. After seeing them exit the airlock next to atmospheric processing, he raced to the monitors to see where they might be heading. Hastily, he recruited his girlfriend and commandeered a rover to follow. He messaged Gina, When you start video, stream it back to me and I can direct you. Try to get as much in frontal or side shots as possible and concentrate on Tasha. I think she's the ringleader. Gina followed and quickly reacquired her targets. Brandon and Tasha had a good eye and slipped into a booth as soon as another party left. The mistress was crowded tonight with seating at a premium. There was a band, but they were in a separate section, so people here could still have a normal conversation. She messaged Thomas, they found a booth and Tasha is looking around like she's expecting someone. This could be good, thought Thomas, even if it meant nothing. He could probably spin it his way. Good, Gina, let's see if anyone shows, encouraged Safford. Tasha spied a man entering in his late thirties in a neat but well-worn jumpsuit. This was her friend, Inofe, who had seen her. Gina was getting video of both. It looks like Tasha and a large man near the door just picked each other out of the crowd, and he's making his way to Tasha and Brandon's booth, Thomas said. I might have seen him before, but I'm not sure. The computers may recognize him. 
Those of the frontier don't often show up in Munis or Earth databases. He doesn't walk like an Earthman, but that doesn't mean he's a native. It's something else for the computer to analyze. Enofe, it's so good to see you again, said Tasha. She gave him a big hug. Brandon noted how Tasha already seemed different outside of the Munis confines. He waited for their excited banner to die down before moving closer. Tasha said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I need to introduce you to my friend, Brandon. He'll be interested in much of what you have to say. Brandon, meet Enofi Kalu. Please sit down, Enofi. We got lucky and stank this booth right before I saw you. Enofi held out a large black hand and gave Brandon a firm but non-crushing greeting. Hello, Mr. Olson. I've heard many good things about you. Then sat down on Tasha's side of the booth. Tasha asked, What does everyone want to drink? I'll go get it since it could be forever before a robot gets here and the overhead serving system is still on the fritz. I've even repaired it myself a few times, but it doesn't last. And no cracks about my skills from the water pick repairman. Brandon looked puzzled, but Enofe understood. I know you are not often given a choice of which alcoholic beverage you prefer, since there's so little variety around the government compounds. Let me suggest the Viking Pale Ale for a start, my friend. Brandon looked at Tasha, then back at Enofi and said, Okay, you folks are the experts, so why not? Tasha was already on her way. I'll get a pitcher, and the first one is on me. Brandon was still looking around. The mistress, as his friend disappeared into the crowd, toward the bar. It is overwhelming, is it not, Mr. Olson? said Enofe. I was a boy of fourteen when I arrived here, and had many thoughts which must be going through your mind right now. When we look at Mars from space, on the way here, what you see around you does not seem possible, yet here we are. Brandon tried to refrain from gawking, to engage in conversation. So what brought you to Mars at that age? he asked. Enofi looked more serious now, as if Brandon had crossed some sort of line, but then relaxed. Enofi started slowly. I will tell you, Mr. Olson, just how it came to be. Brandon injected. Please, sir, call me Brandon, but by all means, don't let me interrupt. Enofi continued. Politics, my friend Brandon, it is always politics, which changes people's lives for the better in some cases, but much worse for most. Chapter 3. Enofi Kalu You see, my family comes from Nigeria, which is a very populous country, as you know. For two centuries, the corruption there has been egregious. The coercion and robbery is more overt there than in more established countries, even now. As it is, there are few of the so-called lesser evil places to go. Taking the last swig of the bottle he had before coming over, Enofi looked pensive. Yet that is not the reason my family came here. You see, for several generations, it has always been a Kalu, or several of the Kalu family, who point out these injustices. Much to the embarrassment of those claiming they should run our lives. For over a hundred years, the earth has been growing more green, 
and now supports people in formerly uninhabitable regions. This is not enough for some. In fact, there are many groups who resent this. Scarcity is their source of power, and they strive to maintain it. Brandon could understand what made this man a friend of Tasha's. He spoke the way she did and thought the way that Brandon thought, but was not so able to express. An Elfie spied Tasha making her way back from the bar, holding two pitchers over her head to keep from jostling them. He smiled and continued, It has come to pass that more and more places in Africa, like the Sahara and the Kalahari, or drier places in Kenya, became more habitable. There was nothing to hold back Nigerians from leaving. Fewer means were required to find a new promised land. What we forget is that the Sahara, the Australian outback, or the former empty quarter of the Saudi Peninsula, once upon a time were essentially no man's land, uninhabitable but for a few. Brandon stood up as Tasha came to the booth, setting the pitchers down, then retrieving glasses from her many pockets. You gentlemen look so deep and serious. Don't let me interrupt, please. She poured each of the men a tall glass of Viking pale ale and, and one for herself before sitting down next to Anofe. Olsen offered, Please, Anofe, continue. I believe I see where this is leading, but I want to hear. Anofi took a long, satisfying drink from his new cold ale. I believe that you do see it, my friend. So many of the formerly desolate places had new wells drawing water from the upper mantle of the earth, or thorium reactors for desalinization. Man and nature provided more water than anyone could need. The paradigm has shifted. Still, the old guard has a tenuous hold on control. Brandon then asked, so those in your family were prominent in speaking out against their arbitrary powers? Tell him, Anofi, he's been brainwashed by the media and needs an unschooling. At the least, he's starved for information. Propaganda is so much about what they do not tell you as what they do. Anofi continued, You have it exactly correct there, Brandon. Indeed, many with my name are affiliated have been thorns in the sides of the manipulators for the last 50 years or more. Some were effectively marginalized. My grandfather was tortured, but others have taken positions essential to their machine, or so they hoped. My father was in just such a slop. He was a mining and civil engineer on earth and continues here. He was sent by the Nigerian government wishing to keep him out of politics and use him to stake claims here on Mars. Tasha broke in. Now, Brandon, do you understand why I wanted you to meet Enofe? His family made the choice to leave Munis and come here. Brandon looked confused, so Enofe tried to ease the apparent contradiction. Right now, you are thinking that the first Kalu may have abandoned the fight, that flight was the better option? That is certainly one logical conclusion. Tasha continued. The other possibility is that they're helping to strengthen the bulwark of freedom that is the Mars frontier and the new settlements 
rather than working for the wrong side, for a little reward, mind you. The harsh mistress was even more packed now than when they first arrived. The place held more people than Mark Watney's, often handling their spillover. Brandon didn't think the heat he felt was entirely due to the crowd. He placed his cold beer glass on his cheek and forehead. Man, you know I could almost feel it as we were driving closer. Looking at all the lights and activity, the atmosphere is charged here in a way that we never experience over there. It is the energy of the frontier, the energy of endless possibilities. Outside, Safford continued watching the video feed from Gina. She was periodically interrupted by unwanted suitors or patrons blocking her line of sight. Gina, I've been running that man's face through several databases and have had some marginal hits. I have a 62% probability that this is Inofi Kalu, the son of Izuedo and Yawa Kalu. That name sounds familiar, but I need to do more research. Ah, here it is. Izuedo Kalu was a civil engineer assigned to Munis 18 years ago. He led a sit-down strike and had 22 key personnel followers talking about nepotism and arbitrary treatment. They made some minor gains, but most of those have been erased. No special treatment was ever proven by anyone officially. He and his family disappeared three years later and were presumed to be in the new settlements. There are no further records. Gina replied, Given the time difference and some features common to parents and child, that could be your match. That's a long way from proof, though. Even if it is, what does it really mean? Thomas knew quite well that anything could be spun in any number of directions, but couldn't think about that right now. He had to duck back as there were men walking along the tube to whom he owed gambling debts. He replied, It could mean a little or a lot, but it's a good start. I think Tasha and Brandon are up to something. I just don't know what. They need to point the finger at me to keep the heat off themselves. Gina was not really convinced of Thomas' martyrdom, but pickings were slim in the Munis compounds. She would bide her time until a better prospect for male companionship came around. Gina said, I don't know what they're talking about, but they look very serious. I mean, they look too intense for a pub on a busy night. Thomas replied, I'm sure they picked a rush time like this for just that reason, to mask whatever it is they're out talking about. They both saw Brandon raising and then waving his arms as he spoke. Gene said, he's moving around too much. Do you think the lip reader AI will catch what he's saying? Brandon exclaimed, okay, Nofe, and you, Tash, why am I here? I mean, I'm not the revolutionary type, as most will tell you. Inofe gave out a big laugh. My friend, we do not talk of revolution on the frontier as it is an absurd concept. Revolution means change the old guard for the new, which will soon be equally corrupt. As that very old song said, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Don't get fooled again. That is Earth's endless game of King of the Hill. He laughed again, even louder this time, and some of the other patrons looked their way briefly. Tasha let loose the long blonde hair from her bun and reminded Brandon. 
you'll have to change your mindset. Olson. This is the frontier where there, there is no insane central authority surrounded by toadies. There is nothing to replace. People here spend their time building rather than coveting and or plundering what others have built. There was a line in that old 21st century serial, The Expanse. Remember what Kamina Drummer said to her two friends and crewmen who were hanging it up? Brandon had seen Tasha animated, but never like this, and it was catching. Yes, you really know how to get to me, Tash. Drummer said, I did not love you because you were fighters. I loved you because you were builders. And I like to think of myself as a builder. Tasha continued, I've seen how frustrated you are, and you know that Cassini is as stymied as we are, but he won't be able to change things. Do you want to build something great or not? The pleasant fog of Viking pale ale is beginning to clear, said Brandon, who gave one of his rare but wide smiles. You guys have got something major in the works and you need some dedicated people, is that it? Tasha said to Anofe. You see, I told her he would figure it out. He's been primed for this since he stepped off the transport. Anofe became serious. Brandon, we need you. The Frontier needs you, as you are just the type of person who is compelled to innovate and not just maintain. Repairing boot polishers can be done by someone else. Still sipping his beer, but completely sober, Olsen asked. So what is this great project you are undertaking, and what is my part in it? Nofi gave a big toothy smile. It is something we do not have on Mars, my friend. Sleds. For a moment, Brandon thought he misheard his new friend, but could now see that intense sparkle in Tasha's eyes. He said, you mean, you mean someone is finally going to build it? And Ophi, too, looked very sober. Though most of their two pictures were now empty. Yes, my friend, we've been quietly surveying the best routes up Olympus Mons. That dead volcano was practically designed for a mass driver more than a, two billion years ago. If you've had a long... Anofi, too, looked very sober. Though most of their two pitchers were now empty. Yes, my friend, we've been quietly surveying the best routes up Olympus Mons. That dead volcano was practically designed for a mass driver more than a, two billion years ago. If you've had a long interest in such project, as Tasha informs me, then you've done your own research. Most of the base is sheer drop-off, but you know there's a gentle slope most of the way and a manageable approach from the northeast. The bloody thing nearly touches outer space at the lip of the caldera. Olsen's head was swimming at this point when Tasha broke in. I know, this project is freaking huge, Brandon. The volcano herself is nearly the size of France, back on Earth. Still, those frogs managed to crisscross their plot of land with high-speed maglev rail two centuries ago. Why can't we do the same here? Olsen managed to snag one of the few waitresses nearby. Uh, miss, what do you have in a dark beer? She replied. 
We have the marinara stout, which is pretty popular. Say, you're not from around here, are you? Brandon tried his best to blend in and look less like a government lackey. The marinara stout it is then, and make it a pitcher. Turning to Tasha, he continued, Sure, but the so-called French government had all of that money to steal, then get the EU to print more for them and water down their wages of workers building the network. Where is all of the funding going to come from? Tasha flipped back her hair, saying, This is the frontier, bucko. Where there is a will, there is a way. Have you ever heard of a DAO? Decentralized Autonomous Organization or Decentralized Finance Scheme. Not the crony capitalist Ponzi type, but a method for accomplishing a real goal without the Earth-based hierarchy. They've been doing projects this way since the beginning, away from counterfeiting central banks. Almost every individual or business is invested in a third to a half of all the other ventures, they don't need any French or EU bureaucrats telling them what's good for them. They already know. And Elfie said, Along with surveying efforts, the funding structure is underway. It is not really a matter of if this project accelerates, but when. There is a bottleneck in getting people and supplies back in space. Series tankers provide a lot of water, but that's a long haul. And we do keep this quiet since powerful, protected Earth entities prefer the status quo and the benefits of scarcity. That is, the vast profits in synthesizing chemical fuel for sending people or resources into orbit keeps a lot of government contractors going. Frontier fuel processors do pretty well, but they need to diversify. With an Olympus Mons mass driver, we could send millions of tons in people or cargo to orbit. But you know all of that, Tasha continued. Brandon, you are a whiz at power systems and no slouch when it comes to magnetic propulsion. This project is tailor-made for you. You can pick your own team. When Brandon looked apprehensive, Enofi said, you should not worry about being accepted here while in a managerial position over the natives. If that is your greatest concern, it would be mine as well. Quite a few people here know Tasha and know that she's only been biding her time. They trust me and most here trust her. We've already vouched for you. You see, this is a small community. And like those Tahiti Islanders knew so long ago, we need infusions of new and creative DNA at the small price of a nail. We are independent, not insular. We're accepting of newcomers, provided they have our mindset, and you've got it. Brandon sat back, feeling more at ease. You know, I've been noodling this for years, as no doubt Tasha has already told you. With the required minerals, we could set up thorium salt reactors all along the track. Each station would become the next Dodge City, like in the old United States where Texas cattlemen drove their livestock to the railhead for market. Tasha piped in. Enofe, you see we have a convert now. 
Brandon is speaking loudly about what he only mentions to me in whispers every time someone overamps the power grid and he stops swearing. He gets all dreamy like this. Kalu sensed Olsen was hooked. Exactly, my friend. But here we have no free roaming cattle. We do have prospectors, storekeepers, and others to set up shop along the tracks. Tentatively, we're calling our mass driver the Star Olympus Line. No one can guess at the abundance of water or minerals, but so far it looks promising. This in good measure is what attracts investors. Of course, the funds won't be raised all at once for such a massive undertaking, but with newly discovered natural resources, there won't be an issue. There may be boom towns in the future of which we know nothing. The project will attract talent from Earth and Luna, as well as Munis. If you have any good candidates who are tired of pointless constraints, then make a list. Be careful and keep it to yourself. The time for revealing this plan is not yet upon us. The waitress returned with a large pitcher of mariner stout and served the group. Inofi quickly held out his pocket viewer in front of her and she scanned in the transaction. Brandon half raised up and began forming an angry, humiliated scowl. Tasha held up a finger, giving him her nonverbal, just calm down look. Taking her cue, he reluctantly sat back. As their server pushed back into the crowd, Tasha said, I didn't want you trying to pay her with our watered-down government script. Not everyone approves of us, you know. Realization washed over Olsen as he said, Sorry, as excited as I was, that would have made me look rather like a true fish out of water, or the Martian equivalent. Outside, Thomas said to Gina, I'm starting to get a few things through the lip reader here, but there's not much to go on. Did you get something about Star Olympus? I've never heard that term, and it's not in any database. Gina replied, I'm not getting much either. There was something about thorium reactors and Texas cattle drives. What is a cattle drive? I know they raise cattle over there in the large lava tubes. I've even eaten steak once or twice. It was incredible. When will we get cattle over at Munis? Thomas knew she was bored by her tone. He thought, I'll have to take her out for an expensive dinner here in the new settlements. She'll probably want a steak. He had to pursue his quarry under more promising conditions. It's a good thing my aunt and parents set me up in some Mars Frontier accounts with real money in them. As if on cue, Gina said, Did you get what you were looking for? This bar is crowded and noisy. I'm hot. I'm sticky, and I want to get out of here. Knowing she'd had enough and not wanting to be around, if those knee-crushing debt collectors returned, Thomas agreed. Okay, Gina, good job. I'll get the AIs to wade through the video you grabbed. I'll have my aunt get me time on the quantum computer and administration. Let's get you out of there and go someplace nice. As long as you aren't too sticky, that is. Gina was out of the harsh mistress as quickly as she could weave through the crowd. Thomas waved her back across the thoroughfare as he was still partially hidden in an alcove.
Even disheveled and put out about this adventure, Thomas thought, Gina really is looking nice tonight, and she has been a good sport. Just then he noticed the two knuckle-draggers coming back. He quickly embraced his girlfriend in an overly enthusiastic kiss to hide his face. As the two men passed, Gina pushed him back. What was that all about? This isn't the place, and I'm not in the mood after all the attention I got in there. With the danger gone, Thomas put on a sheepish face. I just missed you so much and couldn't stand the thought of those dirty miners and water processors sizing you up. Gina was unconvinced, but only said, Tommy, I'm hungry. Let's get something to eat. You know this place better than I do, and there have to be some nicer establishments. Thomas said, All right, I'll get us a pot. As he speed dialed a number on his viewer, Surely one appeared on the central rail. Ladies first, he said, with a put-on smile. Once inside the vehicle, he muttered, Those folks are up to something, and I'm going to find out what. To this, Gina scorned. If they're doing anything in the new settlements, then what business is it of ours? You know as well as I that what people want more than anything else out here is to be left alone. Chapter 4. Keep Your Enemies Closer With three pitchers of beer to soak up, Tasha, Brandon, and Anofi needed less crowded digs to line their stomachs. Tasha said, How about that new place over by Millican Station? What's the name of it, Anofi? I feel like celebrating this venture. Anofi scooted out of the booth, followed by Tasha and Brandon. Olsen appreciated his large new friend as the crowd easily parted before him. He had never seen Tasha positively bubbly like this. She said, Oh, I remember. It's called Red Sands, and they have that Dust Devil Lounge. I've been wanting to check it out. Brandon thought Tasha had a new glow to her as she tied her hair back into a ponytail. Anofi called for a pod and they made their way inside. My friend Brandon, why do you not look more excited? Tasha broke in. Oh, he gets that way sometimes. He knows his life is about to change, and it's just now sinking in. Olsen sat there, as if not hearing a word they said, watching the new scenery as they passed. Later, Tasha said, Millican Station always has something going on. They seem to be forever expanding. Brandon did pay attention as they continued and finally spoke. I had no idea there was so much going on, being shielded in the Munis compounds for so long. What are they building over there? Are those new launch towers? What are they going to do when a new mass driver goes online? And Elfe answered, they will be among our first investors, Lai Ling. Their director is a smart cookie. She knows that a mass driver is a much-needed complement to their operations. Not only are they a spaceport, but they are getting into long-haul ships, not rockets. They need a mass driver for assembling components in orbit. The pod came to a stop next to Red Sands, and the group made their way inside. It was a sizable structure. 
partly underground and partly above. Brandon could not tell if the opening was natural, dug out, or a bit of both. He was impressed. After telling the hostess they needed a table for three, Tasha led them to the dust devil to wait. It wasn't long before she spied Thomas and Gina sitting next to the mock fireplace. Steady, Brandon. Don't say anything you might regret. Enofi looked puzzled. Then remembered Tasha telling him all about the Canadian biolab fiasco. Tasha and Brandon just nodded as they followed Enofi to a table as far from them as possible. Gritting his teeth, Olsen said, I thought at least here I could get away from the morons, and that twit in particular. Tasha held the drink menu up to hide her face and whispered, Just take it easy. Try to ignore him, okay? We're supposed to be celebrating. Across the room, Thomas was on edge. He had been avoiding eye contact with either Tasha or Brandon. Gina saw the look on his face and kicked him under the table. Don't just sit there gawking. Either go speak to them or ignore them. Don't just stare or they'll know something's up. Thomas finished his drink for a little more courage. I will. I'll just show them that I'm a better person. He hit the button for service. Please show me a diagram of the dust devil. A diagram appeared with the layout, tables and bar seats labeled. Placing his viewer into the pay point, he said, I would like a bottle of your finest wine, sent to table number seven. A list appeared with five wines showing. The server program said Chateau Demos is considered to be a superior choice. Last year's vintage is especially popular. Knowing nothing of wines, Safford said, perfect. Send a bottle of Chateau Demos over to table seven with my compliments. When the wine arrived, Tasha was livid. Nonetheless, she smiled sweetly across the room and raised her glass. And Ophi said, maybe he's trying to apologize. Barely moving her lips, she said, I don't trust that guy as far as I could throw him, even on Mars. Brandon put on a friendly face without exaggerating. Tasha, you need to dial down that smile. We don't want to act as if we actually like him, do we? Look, now you've done it. They're coming over here. As Gina and Thomas approached the table, Safford held out his hand to Tasha. Momentarily stunned, Tasha gave it a short, polite shake. Mr. Safford, we thank you for the wine. What brings you to the dark side? He replied, Oh, I thought I should bring Gina here for a little tour. Gina, this is Tasha Nagorski and Brandon Olson. We're colleagues across the way. Choking that colleague's description down, Tasha and Brandon politely greeted her. Tasha said, This is our friend, Enofi Kalu. He's one of the crack engineers in these parts. Without invitation, Thomas pulled out a chair for Gina and took a seat himself. He said, 
You know, Tasha, if we're going to be working together, I feel we should be on better footing. Don't you? That's why I made this little peace offering. Enofi knew Tasha was doing her very best not to punch this guy in the throat. He had to admire her self-control. Tasha said, by working together, do you mean the creation of real or perceived life-threatening events to which Brandon and I must respond? That certainly helps us to earn a paycheck. Thomas knew he had been burned, but pretended not to notice. That's one way to put it. Very funny there, Tash. So I smoked a little weed and set off a fire alarm. No biggie. No one was hurt. In a level voice, Brandon said, Fire in an oxygen-rich habitat is not a joke. You've had the same training we've had. Tasha and I have had more as ERT members. Anelfe, in his smooth, deep voice, became the moderator. Now, one thing we do in the new settlements is keep such disagreements in the workplace. This sounds like shop talk, so we should move on. Tasha frowned. And don't call me Tash. Now it was Gina's turn to lighten the mood. Tasha, that's really wonderful nail polish you have. Where did you find it? Our stores sell out of the best colors when people hoard it for barter, Tasha thought. Gina seems more genuine, answering. Oh, there's a cosmetic shop here in the Dune Bazaar. I stock up there when I can make it outside. Thomas probed. So, Mr. Kalu, is it? I may have heard your name before. Were you ever in the Munis facility? Now Anofi became guarded, answering, I have been there, but this was many years ago. Now, as I am very busy, I do not have bandwidth to visit. An uncomfortable silence followed for maybe 30 seconds. Tasha continued. If you like, Gina, I'll beam you the contact information. Many of the shops here will deliver to us. However, they either don't take our government money or discount it drastically. They prefer the frontier currencies. It's that or platinum group ingots like osmium or ruthenium. Now Thomas was thinking, I don't want Gina to be all buddy-buddy with Nagorski. This is going the wrong way. Then again, Tasha will be less suspicious of me. Aloud, he said, Platinum group metals, let's see, that would be platinum, of course. And you already mentioned methinium. Then there's osmium, iridium, palladium, and rhodium. Gina smiled. How do you know all that? Though Tasha knew Thomas was showing off for his girlfriend, she had to admit, he was not nearly as dumb as he was irresponsible. Anofi had other thoughts. Though Thomas did not know him, he knew of Thomas and his love of gambling. He thought, he knows all about those medals because he owes so much to the bookies. Still scheming, Thomas thought, this uncomfortable situation could work in my favor. He said, say, I'll bet we could save ourselves and the restaurant some trouble if we all had dinner together. Without waiting for a response, he tapped a new request. 
into the table's service pad. Brandon could feel that nervous or angry jiggling of Tasha's leg on the floor next to his chair. In a monotone, Tasha said, Oh, that's a wonderful idea. At this point, Inofe wanted to laugh, but forced a big smile and said, Thomas beamed, We've gone from a wait of 20 minutes to five. See what we can accomplish when we work together, Tash? Brandon thought, I don't know whether to laugh hysterically or deck Thomas right now. It could go either way. Tasha thought, this is not the Thomas Safford we all know and loathe. He's up to something. Taking their seats, Tasha said, I need a stronger drink than this. You too, Brandon. Our ride home will drive itself. The party moved to a table led by the lighted floor, Mater D. Thomas held out the chair for Gina and Anofi held another for Tasha. Tasha thought, I'm able to pull out my own chair, thank you, but decided not to make a scene. Inofi knew it, but was not going to be showed up by this poser. As if on cue, Gina said, I don't know about you guys, but if there's steak here, I'll be having that. Thomas bit his lip and Tasha nearly spit out her drink. To save the situation, Inofi said, please folks, order whatever you like to show our hospitality as a senior resident of the frontier. I wish to buy you all a welcome dinner. Brandon knew the restaurant would not take his fiat money, so only said, thank you so much, Inofi. I do feel welcomed. Knowing what Kalu was up to, Tasha said, oh, thank you so much. That's very kind. Thomas liked to act like a big spender, but knew he had been bested. In any case, he had to stick to his agenda, which was to trip up Tasha. Gina said, I wonder if they have surf and turf in this menu, then giggled. That's funny, since Mars doesn't have either one. I know there are cattle, fish ponds, and oyster beds, but I'm not sure about the lobster. Then pouted, I've only had the frozen stuff from Earth in tiny proportions. Thomas, relieved he wasn't paying this time, ordered another drink. After everyone tapped in their dinner choices, Tasha asked, Say, Thomas, isn't your contract almost up? I should think you'd be making plans for heading back to Earth, right? Thomas said, I suppose so. If I did, I would be out of your hair. Then again, there's a lot of important work to be done. Just between us, I'm being groomed for management. There should be slots opening in the next few months, and I want to keep my options open. Brandon gripped Tasha's hand under the table to stem any reaction. Tasha quipped, Really, I should think that you'd be fired up. Enofi's smile was an acknowledgement of Tasha's Peter Principal reference. That went right over the boy's head, he thought. Dinner arrived. Gina shrieked with delight upon seeing her fresh lobster and thick pink steak. Brandon then asked, Say, Thomas, I thought you came from the Colorado School of Mines. What are you doing in the bio lab? Safford replied, Oh, well, my aunt said I should just come to Mars. There would not be anything for me for a while, but it was best to be on site 
and have one foot in the door. Tasha added, with government work, it's always hurry up and wait. Why else would Brandon and I be acting as glorified building superintendents? Since you have your finger on the pulse of power, maybe you know when the next build-out is scheduled. Knowing that control of information was critical, Thomas only said, Your guess is as good as mine. We can't just make up our jobs the way we want them to be. Those things are still way above my pay grade, and Aunt Colleen doesn't tell me everything. And Ophay and Brandon ordered the pork chops. Kalu said, Actually, here on the frontier, we make our own destinies, and so far it's worked out pretty well. Brandon added, for Thomas and Gina's sake, That appears to be the case. I was commenting on the way over the number of new building projects and the infrastructure already in place. I'm getting jealous. Tasha reworked her ponytail before preparing her baked potato. Certainly the shopping is better than what we have to choose from. There's a lot more than just steaks, lobster, and nail polish to choose from. The vendors Munis brings in sadly lack in variety, and they won't let us start our own businesses on the side. It's all who you know, so they don't have any competition. Kalu followed. That's right. We do not have those earthbound counterproductive policies to deal with. We have the Mars Frontier Council, where we hammer out a lot of issues. We already know how to contract with each other and have our professional arbitrators and security firms. Safford listened to Anofe. Though what his comprehension was, Tasha couldn't guess. He asked, Okay, Anofe, Tasha, what do you guys know about the encampments and all of the vehicles up on the North Rim? Has some great discovery been made? Are there new mining claims? They're a long way from home base. Tasha winked at Anofe, who responded. As Brandon said, there are many enterprises at work. New ones pop up and others succeed or fail. I'm not privy to all of them. Usually we only find out about a big project if there is a dispute. Someone mentions it on the, in the council or some company makes their own announcement. Safford said, Somehow I think you know a lot more than what you want to tell me. Maybe you're part of this venture, so you don't want to say. I'll find out soon enough. I have my spies too, he smirked. Tasha was on her third whiskey sour and feeling less inhibited. That's one difference I've noted between where we live and the frontier. Those making it to the top of Munis either have nefarious intelligence networks or are compliant minions for those who do. No one on the frontier has to kiss any butt or use taxpayer-funded goons to keep others down. It's a real meritocracy here. Safford was unimpressed by Tasha's speech. Tasha, it appears that if anyone is to be moving on in the near future, then it would likely be you before me. It sounds like you're unhappy at Munis and would rather be here with the prospectors and fuel processors. I should remind you that you have a contract, so jumping ship may not be your best strategy. And if you leave, how many will you take with you? You have obligations and a duty to do your best 
where you are. The frontier can obviously take care of itself. Brandon was beginning to fume. If he had any doubts about leaving his current employers, they were quickly fading. He responded, Yeah, if I left, who would repair the hair dryers and waffle irons? Tasha and I were hired as electrical and design engineers. Is that someone's idea of government efficiency? Gina was taking in the conversation, not knowing exactly what was going on. Certainly Thomas would never tell her everything, she said. The North Rim, huh? What would take someone way over there? Still, it would be nice to see something new for a change. I plan to come across more often if I can swing it. People are so much more alive here. To calm things down, Nofi said, I thought we would end the evening with a dessert of bananas foster. If we've never had it, you're in for a treat. Gina looked it up in the table menu, saying, Oh, that sounds wonderful. There's someone actually growing bananas here? Kalu replied, In small quantities, yes. I have to say that the brown sugar is synthetic, but a very close match to what I remember as a boy. Thomas said, Sounds good to me. I'm in. But Gina and I can't stay much longer since we need to get the vehicle back to the other side. Despite some of the tense conversation, Gina looked disappointed to be leaving so soon. Tasha noticed a text from Enofe on her viewer that they could speak more freely after they were gone. As Thomas and Gina were leaving, she unexpectedly gave Tasha a big hug. Brandon smiled at how uncomfortable this made Thomas. After they were gone, Tasha said, Why does Gina hang out with a loser like him anyway? She obviously has more going for her than that. Brandon mused, Well, there's one thing we do have in abundance, which is not evident here, and that is boredom. Gina is only demonstrating how desperate one could be for distraction. Edofi informed them. This seems to be the case. I've known of this Thomas Safford only by reputation. He likes to gamble and comes here to satisfy his addiction. It's just too bad he's so unreliable when it comes to paying up. I don't gamble myself, but I've heard his name more than once. Tasha said aloud, Why am I not surprised? I don't imagine folks around here putting up with a welcher for long. Maybe they will teach him a lesson. Thank you for the dinner, by the way, Nofi. That was a long interruption, but you got to see a prime example of what Brandon and I deal with every day. Brandon said, Yes, thank you again, Nofi, but I'm sure we're not the only refugees you've encountered. You must have heard quite a few stories about the incompetence of Munis personnel. Tasha hinted, The Dust Devil should be as good as any place to continue our discussion. Let's retreat to the bar. And Elfie said, Don't worry. We can stay here as long as we like. I know the proprietor, and I paid for our dinner in Kiali. He's on board. That's the coin we created to fund our mass driver project. The Albanian word for sky is Kiali. We thought it appropriate, and very few other than investors 
will know what it's all about, since so many Avengers come and go. Natasha said, your people have dedicated even more time planning this than I guessed. But by your latest updates, should we assume Thomas probing about the activity on the North Rim has something to do with this venture? Kalu responded, exactly. That's why I was so cautious about answering. His connections could make trouble, but at this point, it's impossible to know. Brandon joined. Of course, you're right to be cautious. So who do you think could throw the biggest spanner into the works? Tasha replied. As feckless and unorganized as our employers are, even they realize they cannot accomplish anything significant without bringing in contractors. Once those guys find out what we're doing, they might try to use their influence over Munis to make some kind of move. They'll cry up and down that they're being excluded from Mars colonization projects, though they know we operate without any government sanction. They'll make up some sob story about how we're not inclusive here on the frontier. Brandon sobered despite the stiff drink he was enjoying. Right, Tash, we should come back to that large elephant in the room. You're speaking like you've already jumped ship. You read me like a book, so you must know I'm already convinced. But what are the mechanics here? How are we going to engineer our escape? She replied, Well, I haven't got that all worked out yet, but it doesn't mean I haven't been thinking about it. I've been noodling that ever since Safford glossed over her nephew's latest boneheaded stunt. What say you, Inofe? There must be a timeline. When do you need us? Kalu laughed loudly and said, Oh, you both are already behind schedule. But I know that you will work well on a deadline. Pressure makes diamonds, no? He smiled. Falling behind gives you so much more time to catch up. Tasha continued. I take it those folks on the North Rim are surveying. Maybe some seismic testing, water supplies and processing plants are the first order of business, no? Pleased with his new recruits, Sinofe answered. That's why I want you both involved. You've worked out most of this project in your heads already. My associates and I have earmarked Mr. Olson to head up the power generation and distribution portion, at least until he can get some people trained up. Power is key to everything we're doing. Later, the both of you will be involved with designing and implementing rails and spurs, Tasha asked. And what do you have up your sleeve for me? Kalu replied. You have a strong geology background in addition to being a wonderful electrical engineer. We need stable sites for setting up the power plants and habitats. They all need processed water, soil reclamation, atmosphere, and life support. You'll have crews putting together each new Dodge City, as Brandon calls them. Like Brandon, you'll be training others to take over once rail construction begins. However, you're to both be on overall design in your copious spare time, that is. On the trip back to Munis, Tasha said, I've known about this project for a while, but even my head is spinning. What about you, Brandon? He said, 
I see what you mean. When change comes, it comes with a vengeance. They say, be careful what you wish for, right? Tasha reflected. There's a corollary which goes with that, or maybe it was a curse, which says, may you live in interesting times. Does it get any more interesting than this? We are about to become fugitives, my friend. Chapter 5. Ebis Chasma. Days later, at Munis, Brandon said, What is the deal with Thomas? I run into him too many times since we had that dinner. He's being way too nice to me. I don't want to be his buddy, but I'm not going to make a scene with so much at stake. Tasha had been working on the food waste recycling system all morning, but always took time out for Brandon. You know this, but try to stay clear as much as you can. The friendlier that guy gets, the more we need to worry. I doubt he's on to us, but we can't be too careful. On the flip side, I've spoken to Gina more than once, and I don't get that same devious vibe. Nevertheless, she spends her time with him, and he's a bad influence. Thomas knows enough to stay away from me. With Gina, Thomas confided, I planted a bug on Brandon's bag there in the restaurant but I need to retrieve it since it's not a transmitter, only a recorder. I want to know what went on after we left, if anything. I've been trying to get at it for a while, but he goes nowhere without it. He probably showers with it on. He keeps his own expensive tools in it, but good grief. He had not often seen Gina really upset before, but she was now. Thomas, how could you? They were nothing but nice to us, even though Tasha is still annoyed about your phony fire alarm, haven't you taken this thing far enough? Always on the defensive, he came back. Gina, you have to trust me. They're up to something, and I'm going to prove it. I know a lot more about them than you do. I just have to get close enough to retrieve that chip. I've got the AIs working on the Harsh Mistress video, but not much is popping up. They knew what they were doing when they picked that place. And what do you mean by saying Tasha is still annoyed with me? Are you spending time with Tasha Nagorski? Gina lowered her voice, and that's when Thomas knew he'd said too much. Look, mister, I can hang out with whomever I want, whenever I want. I like Tasha, so what? You don't get to approve of who I see and who I don't see. I hang out with you, and you should hear some of the comments I get. I don't tell you because I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you wouldn't like it one bit. Knowing when not to push her, Thomas said, Fair enough, I won't say anything more about her, but I hope you will let me know if you notice anything suspicious, all right? I need to take care of some things before my shift starts. I'll call you afterward. Gina said, fine. Apology accepted. I need to go, too. Thomas kissed her on the cheek, but she did not respond. There was just time enough to see his aunt before heading to the bio lab. Though not required to do so, Thomas wore his card key lanyard everywhere. He thought it made him look important. On his aunt's door, there was already a plaque reading Dr. Colleen Safford, Director of Biology, Interim Operations Committee Chair. He noted this only in anticipation of whatever title might be bestowed 
with his anticipated promotion. Brandon happened to be repairing a circulating fan in the corridor and turned just as Safford barged into his, the scientist's office. He heard Dr. Safford yell, What the hell are you doing, Thomas? You can't just walk in here whenever you feel like it. Then the slamming of her door. To his assistants, he said, Those two deserve each other, don't they? Just then he heard the half-deafening scream of the emergency klaxon reverberating through the walkways. Getting on his viewer, he said, Tash, what is it this time? I just saw Thomas go into his aunt's office, so it can't be him. She responded, Olson, this is a real emergency. We've got some people past the north rim with ruptured tanks. They've got maybe six hours of breathable air before we can get to them. It's all hands. Not being on the scheduled ERT ship, Tasha, Brandon, and her team were still on call for rescue operations. On their way to the assembly point outside of the vehicle airlocks, their AI, Jenny, got everyone up to speed. She crooned. Current information is that a party of eight on the west edge of Hebiscasma have severely damaged two of their four vehicles. Both units rolled down an unstable embankment with much of their air supplies. Several gas tanks aboard have ruptured, but there are no casualties. Estimated time remaining for a breathable atmosphere, 7 hours, 23 minutes, 14 seconds, if remaining reserves are shared equally. Riley said, I never thought we'd have to rescue a bunch of tough prospectors. This is a new one. Brandon followed. Me neither, but this is one of those times when it doesn't matter who comes from where. Neither of us nor those on the frontier are going to leave people stranded in the wastelands. Tasha was thinking aloud. Hebis Chasma is a long, long way from here, and the path is not a direct one for getting to them. Even if they've already started back, we'll never make it with our trucks and equipment. Riley, you're a pilot. How long does it take to fuel a ship and get it ready for flight? Riley wasn't sure she liked the sound of this, but answered, It will take an hour and 25 minutes if we start from empty. Tasha replied, I think you know where this is going. How long will it take if we're only shooting across the valley and not halfway around the planet? Riley responded, Even if we can get permission for a ship, it will take at least 50 minutes. With a slight smile, Tasha said, Susan, you just let me worry about what permission we'll need. I need you to go to the pads, see what is available. Then let me know, okay? Riley gave a mock salute and with a smirk headed off to launch and recovery. Continuing, Tasha instructed, Mr. Chu, Ted, Go with Susan and poke around to see what they have there in the way of winches, spare tanks, rations, and anything else we'll need. They unload cargo there all the time, so lifts and carts should be available. Get with Susan and find out what might already be on board one of those crates. Don't be afraid to ask direct questions. Everyone knows we have a mutual aid agreement with the colonists. Even if we don't end up needing it, we'll know what is available. Ted took off after Riley down the corridor at a run. Montrose, 
she continued. We'll need you to distract Colleen or Dr. Safford while we get underway. She'll mess this thing up for us for sure as anything when she decides to get involved. She can't help herself, Brandon said. That leaves you and me, partner. What do we do in the meantime? Tying her hair up, Tasha thought. They're aware on the other side of what is happening, but we need to know who is doing what. I'm going to contact Enofe and Liling there at Millican Station to coordinate. There wasn't a whole lot on our training regarding this kind of scenario. Most outside emergencies are close to home, where we don't generally need mutual assistance. Brandon replied, I've already let Cassini know what's up if he wasn't already in the loop. He won't be an issue. I'm going to get everyone's gear rounded up since it doesn't appear we'll be using surface transportation. That'll save time. As Brandon was placing the last of the gear onto a third cart, Tasha said, I couldn't get in touch with Inofe. He's out there. He could see the unflappable Tasha Nagorski was visibly shaken, but still under control, and answered, And what about Lai Ling, director of Millican Station? Did you contact her? Tasha bit her lip and said, I did. They know what's going on. They have ships permanently outfitted for just such occasions. One is in a dock with high-speed pumping stations, and they have extra fueling ports on their ships. They could do the whole thing in 20 minutes if they have to. They're going no matter what, but Liling said they want us to ride along since anything can happen out there. Eviscasma is essentially a giant sinkhole, so who knows what the landing conditions are like. Brandon said, everything's going to be all right, Tash. We'll get Enofe and everyone else to safety. Tasha replied, right, I know. I just needed to pull myself together. Oh, there's Riley. Riley, what have you got for a ship? Just as important. Can you fly her? Olson Olson has all of our gear ready to move. Riley came back. There's a cargo carrier being unloaded right now. Two other ships are being refurbished. It's all or nothing on this one, Chief. And yes, I can fly her. I trained on a ship just like this. Tasha replied. How is Ted doing? Has he, has he spotted anything we might need? What's over there in terms of vehicles we could load onto the ship? Riley answered, There are a couple of cargo movers, pretty heavy duty with lifts and winches. Ted's rounding up some extra spools of cable. These cargo ships are not passenger liners. The life support is only good for a small cabin and maybe 20 people. That's cutting it close if we get stranded, but we'll see if we can grab some extra gas bottles and rations just in case. Ted is getting a peek at the manifest to see what's being loaded or unloaded, Tasha replied. Okay, our ETA is 15 minutes. We have to extricate Montrose from Dr. Safford's clutches. Nagorski out. On cue, Montrose text piped into the ERT, gave Dr. Safford a hairy protein molecule to unravel. She's already engrossed with the quantum computer, trying to figure it out. I'll slip out and she won't even know I'm gone. See you at the docks. Montrose out. 
Jumping onto running boards at each end, Nagorski and Olsen headed for the docking ports. The usually quiet electric motors swerved noticeably with the third cart following behind, Tasha said. By now, everyone knows what the emergency is. They're looking at us this way because they expect us to head toward our vehicles, Brandon said over the motors. It's a good thing most of them have stunned their capacity for critical thinking. Why do these scientists ask so few questions? Montrose was already in the docks with Chu and Riley. It was obvious which ship she had picked out. Tasha and Brandon hopped off their carts before they came to a stop. Riley, are they done unloading? Do we even need to wait for them to do a pre-flight check or start refueling? She was. She replied. Most of these guys know I'm a pilot, so they don't think twice about me walking around. I've already started. Fueling is another matter. We're waiting for you on that one. I know as a member of ERT, I could commandeer this baby on my own. I've already started. Feeling is another matter. We're waiting for you on that one. I know as a member of ERT, I could commandeer this baby on my own, but on my own, but felt it would be better if it came from you, Tasha. Don't worry, we won't lose any time, Tasha asked. Where are the dockmaster and chief pilot? In their offices? Riley pointed. Straight over there. In the corner rooms on the second level. This end. Brandon began maneuvering the carts closer to the vehicle airlocks. Natasha marched over to the stairway and up to the dockmaster's office. With the door open, Tasha walked straight in. Reading his nameplate, Tasha said, Mr. Borga, I need that ship out there as we have a rescue in progress. I'll sign a release and we can get this show on the road. Alphonse Borga looked put out as any petty bureaucrat would be when the normal chain of command was not apparent. He answered, You can't just come in here and demand that we hand over an expensive craft like that. Who are you? Sucking air between her teeth, Tasha braced herself for this half-expected showdown. Mr. Borga, as part of the managerial staff, you've been informed. This is my identification. Scan it if you like. The regulations state that in the instance of any life-threatening emergency, I have extensive powers to commandeer any piece of equipment I need, which will not endanger additional lives. After we've gone, you can read the fine print. Please tell me where to sign off. Alphonse Borga said, I'm calling Dr. Safford. We'll just see about this. Tash replied, go ahead and do that. Just hope that you're never far from here with your air running out or waiting on some hapless, fearful bureaucrat to do his job. Popping outside, Tasha gave Riley and Brandon the the thumbs-up sign to get things moving. On the comms, she heard Colleen Safford's shrill voice. You just sit tight, Mr. Borga. I'm coming over there right now. Just then, the chief pilot, Olius Skarsgård, wandered in, curious about the yelling. May I be of some assistance, or miss? Shaking his hand, Tasha said, Nagorski, 
Tasha Nagorski, and I'm heading up to ERT. We have a rescue in progress, and this chap is the long pole in the tent. Skarsgård didn't hesitate. What do you need? I have people who can help. Tasha said, I've got to have that ship out there, fueled as much as possible and ready to go to Hebus Kasma, ASAP. I need our gear and two of those cargo loader vehicles on board, along with three spools of cable, rations, and extra gas bottles. There are people out there with, without a lot of time. Oli said, I'm all over it. I'm coming along, if you don't mind. Skarsgård was already suited up and giving orders to his ground crew to get the Molly Brown fueled, loaded, and ready to go. Equipment and supplies moved in as the last of the freight was offloaded. Fuel and locks lines were in place and pumping. In Earth's moist atmosphere, there would have been a lot of water vapor and frost, but not in this dry, desolate landscape. There were only the cages to rely on. Tasha said, okay, boys and girls, it's showtime. Already suited up, they walked out to the launch platform for boarding. Oli was with them and said, this is your show, Tasha. I can act as co-pilot for Riley, if you like. Riley instructed, okay, people, all doors and hatches are closing. It won't take us long to get there, so we won't be pressurizing the ship. The lights will be red while we're in vacuum. We need to save every ounce of atmosphere. Oli had the coordinates entered into the navigation system and his crews let him know when the fueling was complete. They'd used a few tricks they knew to top off the Molly Brown. Riley said, Okay, Tasha, just give the word. We're ready to go. Over the comms, everyone heard Dr. Safford ordering them. You people need to disembark right this minute. We need to have this out before committing this ship and risking more lives. Those people are out there of their own accord and have nothing to do with this facility. Do you hear me? Brandon said, I think everyone on Mars heard her and that's saying something. Tasha looked at Riley and Skarsgård, then pointed her finger to the sky. Without smoke and with little flame, the Molly Brown took off on a ballistic trajectory for Hebis Chasma. Once they were aloft, Skarsgård said, I'm wondering how upset Dr. Safford is going to be with me when she discovers I left my comms open. Every one of my crew back there got the feed. That broke some of the tension for Tasha, and she burst out laughing. Brandon was glad she had a little relief for the moment. Tasha asked Riley, Do you know where we're going to land specifically? There's not a lot of information on the terrain. All we seem to know is that the area is unstable. Riley replied, I've made sure the AI navigator takes us high enough to maneuver a proper landing, but there's not much room for error. We'll know if it's level, but not what's underneath. The radar should give us a firm spot to set down but no guarantees. I'm already following the lead of Millican Station and the skipper of the Feynman. We'll set down about 100 yards from them. 
Tasha said. We'll find out soon enough. There's the engine cut off. We're in free fall. Just then, Brandon held up his gloved hand. Each of the ERT members had clear designs on their pressure suits so they could easily be identified in heavy smoke or if the comms went out. I'm getting something on channel 14. Jenny, have you identified the source? Their AI responded. Signal emanating from Hebes Casba, Western Rim. Identifier 1447, Enofe Kalu. Attempting to filter noise and enhance. Enofe's unmistakable voice came through. This is Enofe Kalu, broadcasting from Hebes Casba. Is anyone reading? Over. The Molly Brown had reached Apogee and accelerated toward the landing site. Maneuverability in the thin atmosphere with fins helped, but vectoring thrusters were still required. Brandon said, this is that part of the ride I hate the most. Just as he said it, the ship rolled 30 degrees counterclockwise and slightly more northwest. Tasha answered, Enofe, it's Tasha Nagorski, Olsen, and my crew. We're in freefall now. On the ground, Enofe was trapped in the overturned vehicle, but in the side couple of looking straight up, he said, I see braking thrusters, thank heaven. But the ship went below his field of view on the views on the other side of the vehicle. Other members of the party working to right the survey truck were all on the same side, so their view was blocked as well. Enofe said, Tasha, are you down? Come in. Aboard the Molly Brown, Tasha said, Yes, Enofe, you are five by five. We're on the ground and we'll be there soon. Riley said, Ship secure. With Tasha immediately shouting, Okay, everyone, we all know what we have to do. Let's unload this baby. Riley began opening the large cargo doors below. Olsen and Skarsgård quickly moved down the stairway to the payload bay, holding the loaders. Chu and Montrose followed and began disengaging the clamps, which secured the vehicles in flight. Brandon and Ole went to work on assembling the modular elevator or lowering vehicles and equipment. Brandon said, Ole, you'll have to walk me through this. I haven't had much experience with these. Skarsgård replied, they're not too difficult. They assemble themselves for the most part. We just have to keep an eye out for any binding in the joints or rail guides. This incessant fine sand gets into everything. It's so small, it's difficult to know. It is there half the time. The computer controls assembly and looks for problems, but the hydraulics are strong enough to tear this thing apart if we're not careful. Tasha watched as Ole activated the elevator, which reminded her of a massive Rubik's Cube in the center of the payload bay. One by one, sections moved out and along the rails toward the bay doors. As each one moved down over the edge, the next moved over the top and locked in place, moving down one unit each time. 
Brandon was nervous, but getting the hang of it, only hitting the stop button twice to check for binding or to wipe down some rails. Riley was down the crew catwalk already on the ground looking at the ship's support pylons, surveying their impromptu landing zone. She said, Tasha, this ground is a bit soft. We'll have to keep tabs on the position sensors in case anything shifts. Tasha replied, are we safe to lower these cargo loaders? They're going to really throw off the center of mass, aren't they? She replied, it looks solid enough for now. Ground penetrating radar isn't detecting any pockets to worry about. We just need to be alert. Tasha came back. It looks like the guys have it under control here. I'm coming down. Over. Chu and Montrose were securing equipment into the cargo loaders before moving them to the nearly assembled elevator. All comms were interrupted by Jenny. I'm picking up the Feynman inward bound to our location. Riley and Tasha looked up to see a speck rapidly gaining in size before the flare of the braking thrusters kicked in. Riley said, She's going to set down about 75 yards south of us. Dust shot out from under the Feynman as she slowed to a stop. The six landing pylons automatically leveled craft. Like the Molly Brown, this vehicle looked something like a smashed bug with a low profile. They looked ungainly, but these ships could transport large vehicles or equipment. In the old Alaska bush and on Mars, flying to remote locations was more practical than moving them across country. The only issue was fuel. Chapter 6 Living on the Edge The cargo elevator is in place, Skarsgård announced. Brandon was directing the vehicles into the, onto the lift. Follow my hand signals. There, Ted. That's it. Move forward. Slowly. Slowly. You're all lined up. Bring her on over. Ted True drove the loader slowly onto the lift platform, stopping at Brandon's signal. Tasha said, Riley, we're walking over to Anofe's vehicle to assess the situation. Our equipment will be there shortly, but I can't wait. Anofe's companions were glad to see that help had arrived and things were coming along. Tasha said, Riley, it looks like they're trying to winch that first vehicle right side up but their trucks either aren't heavy enough or can't get a grip on this loose regolith, Riley replied. There's a lot of loose junk for sure, but it's not so stable underneath either. This is a lot of salt mixed with fine rock. It's compact, yeah, but is there bedrock? I have my doubts. A figure in a light blue pressure suit came out to meet Tasha and Riley. Are we ever glad to see you guys? My name is Bintang Noor. We were on our way west, but took a detour to check out this area. We figured this could be a future water stop. We guessed it might be unstable, but oh man, it didn't take long before two of our rigs were half buried in this powdery junk. Tasha said, looks like you're trying to pull that truck back over. Not getting enough traction? Norris said, that's right. We just don't have enough horsepower to fight the weight of the rig plus the sand she's buried in. Riley said, 
We brought some cargo loaders with us. They're a lot heavier with sturdy winches and lifts. That might do the trick. We also brought a whole lot of half-inch steel cable. Across the crimson sunlit expanse of the Martian surface, the ERT could see the Feynman unloading cargo. This is Drita Poloka, skipper of the Feynman. We're unloading now and should be over there very soon. What's the situation? Tasha replied. This is Tasha Nagorski. I'm heading up the Munis ERT. We've got two big cargo loaders, cable, and spare gas tanks. They're stuck here pretty good. We're moving into position to help winch them upright and out of these sinkholes. Poloka said, got it. See you in about 20 minutes. Tasha said, Enofe, do you read? We're going to give your guys a hand. Try again to winch you out. What are you doing in there? I know you must be feeling pretty helpless stuck inside the truck, but you'll just have to be patient. How's your air supply? Anofi said, Ramirez and I are both good on air. You're right, though. There's not much we can do until we're flipped back upright. In this position, the hatch is blocked. Tasha said, Chu and Montrose, Oli and Brandon are moving the two loaders in place. So you two can rig the cables. Work with Noor and the rest of Anofi's crew. The Feynman team should be free to work on the other truck. Riley and Tasha then grabbed shovels to begin digging the loose, salty debris away from Enofe's rig as much as possible. Skarsgård and Olsen were coordinating with the rest of the survey crew. The winches of their four vehicles tightened cables hitched to the truck. Slowly, the lines retracted and the vehicle began to tilt upright. Riley asked, Tasha, do you feel that? Like you're about to fall? Tasha replied, Yes, I feel it. Tell me this thing's not about to give way. Tasha noticed the sides of the pit steepening with sand, freely rolling toward the crater, toward the center. She grabbed Riley and gave her a jiu-jitsu flip up and out of the hole. Quickly grabbing handholds, she scrambled over the outside of the truck. Holding on to the top, she was face to face with Anofe, surprised as she was, staring at each other through the cupola. Over the comms, he could hear how fast she was breathing, rising and dusting herself off. Riley could see how close they had both come to being crushed. Nora raised a hand. Stop! Stop the winches! Tasha pulled herself together, then stood up to hop over the high side of the pit between two cables. She made her way underneath the end line, then bent over to catch her breath. Brandon asked, is everyone all right over there? Riley, Tasha? Tasha replied, Everyone is fine. We just had a little scare, that's all. She joined Noor for a close inspection on their progress. The hole was steep, but the truck was nearly free. She asked, Enofi, is your rig functional? Can you get the wheels moving to help pull yourself out? Enofi replied, Affirmative, Tasha. The motors and drive have not been damaged. Only the air tanks and some equipment stowed on top. All were on the Mars common channel so anyone could hear. Those back in the colonies could pick it up when satellites were in the right position. The two teams could have shared a secure channel, but common was always the first choice between Frontier 
and Muniz personnel. Dr. Safford must have ordered some relay drones because her voice could now be heard intermittently. Tasha Nagorski, I've had you tracked, so I know exactly where you are. You are to return with your crew in that ship immediately, and don't leave any Muniz property behind. The surveyors began laughing over the open channel, which only made Safford more angry. Tasha keyed in instructions for Jenny to filter out the scientist-slash-administrator's voice so they could get on with their work. She texted Nora and Paloka, suggesting a new channel. After a brief inspection, Tasha said, Okay, everyone, let's get back to it. Enofe, when you feel your rig moving, try to get some traction. The four wheels began backing up slowly. Drita came on the line. Tasha, I'm watching your video feed. It looks like it's working. I'll position our loaders in a similar fashion. Fortunately, everyone was out of this truck before it really began sinking. Brandon reported, It's coming easier now, Tash. I don't want to speak too soon, but I think we've got it. Anofe said, The rear four wheels are starting to bite. Get ready to back up faster so we don't run over the cables. I don't want to get out of here only to foul the drive with those lines, Tasha acknowledged. He's right, guys. Slow but steady. We're not in a race here. We've got plenty of supplies. Unless, of course, you're all anxious to go back to see Colleen. Safely over the crumbling edge of the sinkhole, Enofe and Ramirez were moving to what everyone hoped was solid ground. Drita said, it's working, Tasha. We're using the remote drive copying Enofe's maneuvers for some extra grip. This crap is awful, but someone had to be the first to drive into it, Tasha instructed. Chu, Montrose, you help inspect Enofe's rover. Take note of what repairs they might need and what supplies or equipment they've lost. Find out if it can go on or go back under its own power. We're not going to pull these guys out, only to strand them. Paloka and her crew were still at it, but Skarsgård and Olsen were out of their loaders, unhitching cables, and to reel them in. Riley asked, Er, Tasha, does the Molly Brown look like she's leaning about five degrees? Or is it just my imagination? For about three seconds, Tasha froze. Slowly, she turned to look. New problem, everyone. Brandon, Oli, let's get those loaders moving back to the ship on the double. Drag the cable if you have to. Don't wait. Our unsinkable ship may be doing just that, Loka said. We're up and over, Tasha. I'll send a couple of drones to start measurements. I'm sure you're right. From my angle, it's more than five degrees. Chu and Montrose jumped on the back of the loaders while Riley and Tasha ran as fast as the restrictive pressure suits would allow. Tasha said, These loaders aren't going to be enough if she's truly stuck. I'm open to suggestion, everyone. Olsen said, Skarsgård, approach carefully. Hold up short so we don't get sucked in ourselves. There's plenty of cable. As Riley and Tasha caught up, the ship was leveling itself on the pylons but degrees of freedom were dwindling. She could not seek much more with any hope of getting her free. Brandon was up on the catwalk, attaching a cable to the high side of the ship for the best leverage. Tasha, Oli and I will see what we can do, but this ship weighs a lot more than all of our loaders combined. We'll have to stake ourselves to the ground 
and hopefully not dig ourselves into new holes. She said, Drita, do you think you could help us out here? Even four loaders might not be enough. Riley added, It's going to be heavy. We have a pretty good fuel load remaining. Drita replied, We're on our way. Riley is probably right, but we'll see what we can do. It looks like that elevator is what's holding everything where it is. Riley looked her concern to Tasha, who said, We can neither retract the elevator nor can the ship take off with so much mass throwing off the center of gravity. Olsen and Skarsgård were discussing the positioning of the four loaders with Drita's team. Brandon said, We need to attach our cables as high up on the Molly Brown as possible, but you guys know that. Riley, can you get us some data from the ship's sensors to tell us what parts are most or least buried? Skarsgård was familiar with all kinds of craft and pointed to the best load-bearing points for attaching cables. The last thing we need to do is tear out a bulkhead. These things have walls like tissue paper. The loaders started pulling, directed by Brandon and Drita. Tasha and the rest could see this was not working. Tasha said, We have to be careful not to drain the batteries on the loaders. That or we'll have to hook them up to your portable reactor. Skarsgård left Montrose to work the loader so he could monitor the cable connections and, more importantly, the parts of the ship under tension from those cables. The loaders started pulling, directed by Brandon and Drita. Tasha and the rest could see this was not working. Tasha said, We have to be careful not to drain the batteries on the loaders. That or we'll have to hook them up to your portable reactor. Skarsgård left Montrose to work the loader so he could monitor the cable connections and, more importantly, the parts of the ship under tension from those cables. He said, Tasha, Riley, we all know there's only one way we'll have enough force to move this thing. Tasha replied, I know, but I can't make that decision on my own. Drita's team has to agree to it or I'm out quite a large chunk of change for an impromptu Martian monument. She called a halt to the guys on the loaders and a conclave with the frontiersmen. Tasha asked, Drita, can you join us with your pilot? We need to have a discussion. Paloka knew what was on everyone's mind. She called her pilot, Stacy, for the huddle. Skarsgård said, I think we know that a lot more force or rather thrust is required to free the Molly Brown. We have lots of people digging around the pylons, but the regolith flows back almost as fast. But it's loose material, not like dirt and mud on Earth. Tasha said, Drita, Stacy, it's just the luck of the draw. We don't have the right to ask you for an assist. We can get back with everyone safely right now. Drita and her whole team knew what a loss the Molly Brown would be, even for government workers. She said, Let's do it. I don't want to leave here without trying, and neither do my people. Right, Stacy? Stacy was apprehensive, but agreed and started back toward the Richard Feynman with a couple of other crew members. Twenty minutes later, Riley pointed, The Feynman is lifting off, headed this way. Brandon and the others manning the loaders had pulled in the cable and ready the extra spools. Skarsgård said, 
You can see the Feynman is one of the same line as the Molly Brown, but bigger, with bigger fuel tanks. Riley responded, yes, but a bigger ship needs more fuel and more thrust. We have to keep a close eye on the gauges on both ships, or we'll be here for a long time. Tasha said, it's now or never. If anyone wants to back out, we'll have to call it a day. Everyone was on board. Okay, Riley, do your stuff, Susan said. I really think Ole could do this better than I could. He's had more, much more experience. I can ride shotgun on this one. Skarsgård said, I was going to volunteer, but I didn't want to step on any toes. I invited myself out here as it is. Tasha replied, All right, I don't see any objections. Let's light this candle. Skarsgård pointed out the worst stress points on the Molly Brown and what to look for, then went aboard with Riley. Tasha worked with Brandon, attaching cables between the Molly Brown and the Feynman. You see, Brandon, every day on the frontier is like a new adventure. Olsen replied, yeah, a great adventure. Do people really get used to this, Tash? Tasha chuckled, relieving some of her own tension. You said it, mister. Pioneers can't start the day unless they're frightened out of their wits first thing in the morning. With as much data as they could pull together, both crews put their shipboard AI systems to work on the problem. Angle, thrust, and fuel consumption. Burn time. Everything had to be worked with the utmost precision and timing to prevent tearing one or the other craft apart. Tasha said, everyone out here needs to back off about 100 yards or more. Drita directed the loaders and everyone climbed onto the outside as they retreated. Tasha instructed, okay, everyone get behind these rigs for protection. This is going to work, but we still need to take precautions. Drita held on to one of Tasha's hands and Brandon held the other. More for themselves, but for Tasha also, Drita said. Okay, Stacy, Oli, do your stuff. Largely controlled by the AIs, but with the unknowns taken care of by the pilots, the Feynman lifted up with the cables pulling taut. If this were on Earth, the sound of the metal straining would have been too much. But Stacy kept the power up. Skarsgård watched to make sure that Molly Brown's thrusters fired at precisely the right moment. Engines throttling to normal levels, fuel consumption high, but within limits. Tasha said, Remember what I said, if anything looks off, then we abort. Brandon pointed, Look, Molly is moving. Just then, Skarsgård felt the engines throttle up to give maximum assistance to the Feynman. He said, gauges are reading nominal. This is working. Tasha could see regolith flowing away from the most deeply entrenched pylons. As soon as the ship was free, Skarsgård shouted, cut him, Riley. Sparks were seen flying from the cable attached points. Sensors on the fireman registered the lighter load and reduced thrust accordingly. She quickly moved back to her previous LZ and killed the engines. Skarsgård guided the Molly Brown sideways about a hundred yards to a spot scouted by the survey team, guaranteed to be solid. 
Tasha asked, Skarsgård, how are we doing on fuel? Do we have enough left? How about you, Drita? He replied, We have enough, I think, but it will be a close thing. Riley laughed nervously, then said, We should be landing in sight of the station anyway. Drita said, We've got a good margin. We'll get back just fine. Tasha responded, I don't care. I'm counting this one as a win. I say we each do proper inspections of our ships. Then we'll treat Drita and Ophi and their teams to a celebratory meal aboard the Molly Brown. I'm volunteering Chu and Montrose to do the cooking. Back aboard the Molly Brown, a suitable repast has been prepared for all three crews. Skarsgård said, Er, Tasha, I have good news and bad news for you. Which would you like first? She said, Why don't you give me the good news first, Oli? He responded, Riley and I, along with your navigator AI, have had to rework the figures for getting the Molly Brown back to Munis. We could definitely get back safely. Okay, now this is where you tell me the bad news. Clearing his throat, Skarsgård said, the bad news is we're too heavy. If we take those two big loaders with us, we'll never make it back. If I had my druthers, I would offload the freight elevator as well for a safety factor. At best, we'll put down 40 kilometers short. If we leave them here, we'll have just enough to end up where we started. They're just loaders. They're not outfitted to use reactor power so they cannot drive back on their own. We'll need a ship like the Feynman or larger to retrieve them. We have those in the fleet, but Dr. Safford won't be happy about us leaving loaders out here for even a little while. Tasha sighed. Well, kids, it's in for a penny, in for a pound, right? We're already in trouble with the man. It won't matter that we're bringing the Molly Brown back after pulling her out of the sand. If we're stuck out here, she would become just another statue. Writing her off would be cheaper than any salvage attempt, though no doubt some intrepid frontiersmen from the new settlements would pick her clean of anything valuable. I've seen Colleen and her cronies waste more taxpayer funds before breakfast. This gives her plenty of ammunition, and she's already gunning for me. That's my problem, and I weighed those issues when I made my decision. Brandon said, Tasha, it looks like Anofi and the survey team are going to be fine. They have replacement air tanks, both from us and from Drita's team. They also have supplies and equipment to continue out here, as long as they stay clear of trouble. Don't worry, I've carefully logged everything we've left with them, so the committee will know where things are. Tasha laughed. Don't be so thorough, Brandon. They're not used to getting such an honest accounting. Riley added, as this was an ERT rescue, we have the helmet cam and communication logs. Everything is documented down to the last drop of propellant boil off. Safford can do what she wants, but we're solid on this one. That doesn't mean she won't try to pull a fast one, but she doesn't know who she's dealing with. Tasha, you know, we'll all back you up on no matter what any government flunky tries to pin on you. Tasha smiled, knowing this was an excellent team. The Grand Poobahs, who agreed to let her choose her own people, initially grumbled when she shunned 
their numerous suggestions. Of course, they tried to reward their followers with that extra pay. Only after training a crack squad, averting millions in damages, or saving some of their lives did they relent. Tasha's ERT and preventative maintenance made her beloved by many employees, but resented by no-talent bureaucrats. After a no-phase survey team left to plan the next phase of their expedition, Andrea's group left for the Richard Feynman, Tasha said. If Ole and Susan agree everything is locked down and ready, then I guess it's showtime. Skarsgård and Riley nodded to each other and stepped through their final checklist. As the countdown ticked off in front of them, each passenger was mired in his or her own thoughts. The main thrusters kicked on, and the Molly Brown left the surface with an uncomfortable lurch. Sorry about that one, folks. Old habits. Leave trouble faster than you found it, said Skarsgård. Those not involved in piloting the craft gripped their seats in response to the vehicle's impressive acceleration. The ship launched into a ballistic trajectory south over the vast depression of the Valles Marineris. The Molly's AI navigator sounded with a soothing male British accent. Boost burn, cut off in 20 seconds. Calculated for best safety march, Skarsgård had his personal viewer in his lap and panned between this and the cockpit displays. Riley counted. Main engine cutoff in 15 seconds. 10, 9, 8. Before she got to zero, Skarsgård casually reached out and touched a control. The engines kept firing. Riley looked at Skarsgård, open mouth, but speechless. The navigator AI said, Recommended boost burn. Shutdown is passed. It is now T plus 5 seconds. T plus 10 seconds. T plus 15 seconds. Chapter 7. The Committee for Public Safety. Tasha and the rest of the team were frozen, Riley said. Ole, what the hell are you doing? As she reached for the kill switch, Skarsgård switched it off before she was halfway there. The rumble within the Molly Brown went quiet as she sailed through the Martian sky in freefall. Attitude control thrusters rotated the ship, orienting the main engines forward. The pilot continued monitoring his personal viewer alongside the cockpit indicators. Almost to himself, he said, I thought I'd save everyone a long walk back to Munis. Brandon said, I wouldn't worry about it. I'm sure they'll give us a nice ride back to the station after picking us up with a stick and a spoon. Nobody else could speak. They were fixated on the sight of the station and lights of the new settlements growing larger in the cockpit display. Skarsgård now looked apprehensive but keyed in some numbers on his viewer before touching the, the cockpit panel. As suddenly as they'd stopped before, the main engines fired up. Tasha thought to herself, at least we're decelerating. The mess won't be quite as spread out. There should be enough for some intrepid colonists to salvage. From her rear seat, she reached out and put her hands on Riley's shoulders. She said nothing for fear of distracting the people to whom she had entrusted their lives. And then it was over. The Molly Brown touched down perfectly, 700 yards short of the outermost landing pad. Gathering her wits about her, Tasha said, 
Holy, just what the blazes was that? Stunt. Skarsgård sat back. Natasha could see he'd been sweating. She thought, maybe he's not the steely-eyed missile man his manner exudes. Skarsgård said, look, Riley and the rest of you defer to me in piloting the ship. I was relying on my experience. I know how this crate was built and why. You could say what we were doing in past parlance was running on the fumes. He continued, Tasha, you're an engineer. I know how much fuel there is versus how much the gauges and the AI tell us there is. You know what goes on in a design. You know about safety margin. Everyone pads because that's what the regulations tell us to do. Every bridge can take a lot more weight than it's rated for. I know how to bypass the AIs and how to get the most out of the engines. If we'd followed the navigator's algorithm, we'd be walking almost a full day to get back. The mobile fuel rigs don't have the range, and the Molly Brown would be as derelict as if we'd left here at Hemis Casma. Riley said, All right, I'm satisfied. I have to pee. Skarsgård said, I see the welcome wagon is racing out to meet us, so I'm right behind you. Tasha and the others unbuckled to move about the cabin, relieving their own shakes. She said, Anyone want to take bets as to whether or not Dr. Safford is with those guys? Brandon replied, It's even money. I'm betting she's warming up her gavel and badgering the operations committee right about now. Soon everyone felt the distinctive vibration of boots on the outside catwalks. Then the ship echoed from the loud banging of the outer airlock door. Riley returned from the lavatory and said, Isn't that a bit over the top? Can they be any more melodramatic? The green light is on. Chu and Montrose were huddled in the galley. Brandon, Tasha, and Riley were still on the bridge. It took a little more time for the airlock to fully pressurize. Now there was banging on the inner airlock door, Tasha said. Well, kids, it's time to face the music. Are you ready? Touching the panel next to her, she disengaged the safety latch. Soon they were treated with three times their number in munis security, decked out in forest green assault regalia, helmets still on, gold visors down, and weapons drawn. The leader, sporting ranking insignia, informed them through an external speaker. You're all under arrest. Turn around, hands against the wall. Skarsgård returned just in time to be thrown to the floor with a knee shoved in his back for good measure. Tasha instructed, Relax, everyone. This is all part of the show. Despite this, Skarsgård began yelling obscenities at his captors, which only invited extra jabs. One by one, Tasha's crew were frog-marched into the airlock. There were more mindless enforcers outside. As they donned their pressure suits once again, Tasha reminded everyone, I'm sure you all know now not to say a single word. These people are not out to help you. Besides, I'll likely be getting the brunt of this. Stay frosty. With the airlock depressurized, Tasha slowly pushed open the hatch. Through the corner of her eye and both face shields, Tasha could see Skarsgård unleashing obscenities, though he had turned off his microphone. Discretion is the better part of valor, Ole, she said. 
On the short ride back to the station, everyone knew better than to say another word. The guard said, you can take those suits off now. We'll be backing the hatch up to let everyone out. Just leave them in the vehicle. Once everyone had re-entered the facility, Tasha said, looks like you called it, Brandon. The reception committee included more police with Dr. Colleen Sovereign leading the way, issuing orders. I want all of them held separately. Place Olsen, Nagorski, and Skarsgård in different rooms for the moment. The operations committee will be meeting in two hours. Before she was taken away, Safford asked, So, Ms. Nagorski, what do you have to say for yourself? Tasha smiled sweetly, replying, Not a damn thing, Dr. Safford sniffed. We'll just see about that. Knowing a bit of how the minds of bureaucrats operated, Tasha sensed that the chairman of the operations committee, interim, was doing a classic railroad job by pushing the procedures quickly enough for a feta complete. She just hoped everyone else kept their cool. Skarsgård's reaction to arrest was a bit of a surprise, but then she did not know him really. Tasha knew the facility inside and out. She was not being taken to a cell like the others, but to one of two interrogation rooms. Actually, crime was not a big problem in Munis, other than the scientists trying to steal each other's research or borrowing their equipment. Tasha sat there with one handcuffed to the table. At least the attendant brought her coffee and donuts. After 15 minutes, Dr. Safford entered with a muscular black security man with Lieutenant's insignia on his sleeves, J.S. Taylor, according to the name sewed on his coveralls, and they both sat down opposite. Tasha said, As I've been informed that I'm under arrest, I have a right to be told the nature of the charges. This only added color to the Safford's face, offsetting her gray-streaked hair. Charges? I'll tell you what charges. Let's start with unauthorized use of a very expensive spacecraft. How about absconding with base supplies, dereliction of duty, and inciting others to do the same? While we're at it, we'll toss in criminal mischief. How's that? I'm sure we can come up with more. Worn out from the rescue and frazzled from the joyride in the Molly Brown, Tasha was nonetheless unfazed by Dr. Safford's tirade. She was not about to give this woman any satisfaction. Fine. I trust you'll have everything written up so that my lawyer can look it over. Colleen Safford had bullied the committee, administrators, politicians, and everyone else she came into contact with. She was not ready for this non-reaction reaction. Look here. You don't get off that easy. First, you're going to stay here until you tell me just what you were doing out there with our very expensive hardware, vehicles, and nearly full fuel tanks. Brushing the hair aside with her free hand and sitting back with a sigh, Tasha asked. Colleen, don't you have a meeting to prepare for? You'd best not be wasting time here with me. Whatever I have to say, I will say once there are formal charges and I've consulted my lawyer or lawyers. To Taylor, who had nothing so far, she asked, Say, could you pass me that box of donuts? It's been a long day. Dr. Safford stood up abruptly and stormed out of the room. Taylor said, Here, help yourself. You'll be taken to a conference room and held until the operations committee meets, then escorted there. 
Tasha replied. A fat lot of good that is going to do. Nothing is going to happen in there that has not already happened in here. Taylor was not as emotional about the matter as Dr. Safford. He merely shrugged his shoulders and left the room. Through the window, Tasha could see him conferring with underlings and occasionally pointing toward her. Though it was not the dinner, Tasha would have preferred donuts help fill the void. Her team, plus Skarsgård, were all present in the large conference room, whose main purpose was academic seminars. Guards seated her on the end of an aisle next to Olsen, who whispered, I guess Colleen wanted you to make a grand entrance fashionably late. A female security officer snapped, No talking. We're about to begin. Dr. Safford banged her gavel. I've called this meeting of the Operations Committee to begin proceedings against Ms. Tasha Nagorski and others who may or may not have violated Venus regulations and procedures. All are currently under arrest with formal charges pending. Cassini was part of the panel as before, but looking very worried. Two of his best engineers were on the hot seat for reasons he couldn't fathom. At least the red tinge had gone from Dr. Safford's face. She began, Members of the committee, for those not up to speed, let me inform you of a very serious incident which occurred today. One of our cargo ships, the Molly Brown, was commandeered by Ms. Degorski and her ERT or a rendezvous on the north side of the Valles Marineris, an unexplored region far from this station. Mr. Skarsgård there accompanied them to actually fly the craft. Our forensics teams are currently going over the ship to gather evidence. Two of our heavy loader vehicles and the ship's cargo elevator are still out there. For once, Cassini spoke up to say, Dr. Safford, from what I understand, there was a distress call on the common channel. Under our bylaws, UN regulations, and Artemis Accords, plus separate agreements made with the frontier security firms, were to respond regardless. It does not matter whether they are munis personnel or independent colonists. Dr. Safford was angry for being interrupted. Dr. Safford was angry for being interrupted, but deflected by asking, And Dr. Cassini, do you understand who this rescue call was for? He replied, well, no, but Safford cut him off saying, no, I didn't think so. The distress call was made by none other than Anofi Kalu. Does that name ring a bell, anyone? There was some murmuring among the committee members with enough tenure to know that name. Those more fresh from Earth or Luna were victims of the news blackout. Dr. Safford continued, please allow me to enlighten everyone. Enofi Kalu is the son of Izuedo and Yawa Kalu. All of them disappeared from this station many years ago without a trace. The Kalu family are known radicals from their activities both on Earth and prior to their disappearance from Munis. They have always sought to disrupt rather than be team players. I have good information that Ms. Nagorski and Mr. Olson are associates of this Mr. Kalu and were seen with him prior to to the incident we have before us. It is imperative for this committee to take precautions against all potentialities endangering this station. Unsatisfied, Cassini continued, this is the first inkling we've had of any man-made threats. Dr. Safford, do you have concrete reports 
from station security or intelligence that you wish to share with us? We need total transparency within the committee if we are to make informed decisions. Brandon nudged Tasha in a half chuckle, half whisper. Colleen is used to controlling the narrative and her discussions tend to be unidirectional. Dr. Safford was truly flummoxed by the emboldened Dr. Cassini. He was the last person she would anticipate questioning her in public. She tried to brush him off. Be that as it may, Dr. Cassini, this is an emergency meeting of the committee. These people you see before you took it upon themselves to abscond with valuable station assets, some of those being left behind on the North Rim. Turning toward Tasha's group, she barked, Ms. Nagorski, what do you have to say to this committee? Just how do you account for your actions? The charges against you are most serious. Tasha sat for a few seconds in silence, just long enough to see the red return to Dr. Safford's face. Did we not just have this conversation, or did you think your phalanx of PhDs would have a greater intimidation factor? While we are at it, just what is this forum anyway? You're invoking dubious emergency powers, which from my standpoint are completely arbitrary. You're making this up as you go along. If there are valid charges being brought, then let's see them. You may have most of this panel cowed, but what standing do you really have? Are you judge, jury, and executioner all in one? For a bunch of scientists, you have a lot to learn about logical fallacies. If you have any critical thinking skills left, then you will make sure the system works the way you all claim it does, rather than watching it being hijacked. Dr. Safford seethed, but refrained from any retort to Tasha's crystalline analysis. Proceeding as if her statement was irrelevant, she said, Ladies and gentlemen, please focus on the large view screen. What you see are our security teams combing over the cargo hauler, Molly Brown. For those who are unfamiliar, this craft is equipped with a heavy-duty modular freight elevator, which appears to have been offloaded. The logs also show that two Class A freight loaders are now missing, presumed to be on the far side of the Valles Marineris with the elevator. The red flags show damage to the ship's structure here, here, and here. Dr. Safford droned on as one or two committee members periodically jerked themselves awake. When the circling security guards were out of viewing range, Tasha and Brandon traded comments using sign language. This they had learned together in their off hours to stave off the prevalent boredom of Munis. Pressure suit radios were not always reliable and communication could mean life or death. Brandon asked, What do you think she's going for here? She and Thomas must be colluding in this vendetta, or she wouldn't know about Enofi and our meeting. Why the rush? Even if she were concocting a case against one or both of us, this is incredibly thin, even for innuendo. Tasha replied, Right. It looks like the writing is on the wall. We'll have to figure a way to communicate since Colleen will make sure we're isolated from one another. Do you have a lawyer? Brandon smiled and replied, No, though in hanging out with you so much, I should have made provisions for that. Tasha replied, Well, I have one, but we can't be sure I'll be able to contact him. Luckily, I have a sort of dead man switch in place. If I don't keep in certain routines, such as returning to my quarters, etc., 
Then a message goes to Vasily and he starts asking uncomfortable questions. I put him on a small retainer when I signed my contract. I'd heard stories about others being trapped up here for years by the fine prince. Olsen twigged on what Sasha was saying. So you'll get this Vasily and or his office to represent me and maybe the rest of the team. Then we'll have a way to communicate. The irony is that we were on our way to being stuck here, as you say, though on our own terms. I thought you were working out a departure plan. Is that all out the airlock now? Tasha smiled. You're an engineer, Brandon. You know the first iteration never works. There aren't enough cells in the brig to isolate us if that's where we're supposed to wait for this kangaroo court to start. It depends on what magic Vasily comes up with. He should be able to raise enough hell to get us bail or house arrest. After all, we didn't kill anyone. We saved lives. I made sure to transmit the team's logs along with those of the Molly Brown in the open before we touched down. I doubt Colleen even knows what she's going to do and those logs have barely popped up on the frontier media. She's in a rush, so we'll use that to her advantage. As Napoleon said, never interrupt your enemy when he is making a mistake. Brandon was less and less surprised at what Tasha was capable of and how she could improvise on the fly. The ERT plus Skarsgård were held in separate conference rooms or empty offices for nearly 24 hours before Vasily Morozov started poking around. It did not take long to connect the disappearance of Tasha and her team after that distress call everyone was talking about. The mystery was why were they missing, he thought. Finally, a case with some meat in it. Cassini made himself conspicuously unavailable after challenging Dr. Safford. Vasily instead found the office of Lieutenant J.S. Taylor and began firing questions at him. This complex is not that big if you know where Tasha Nagorski, Brandon Olson, and the rest of her ERT are hiding out or being held, then you need to tell me now. If you do not know, then I need to know what you're doing to find him. The silly could detect a slump of Taylor's shoulders, indicating that he knew, but was reluctant to say. Morozhov informed him, my office will be drafting writs of habeas corpus for everyone on the team. You'll have them by close of business today. Taylor said, please shut the door, Mr. Morozhov, and have a seat. Vasily thought to himself, now we're getting somewhere. Taylor said, I'm in a fix since my superiors on earth are running for cover. Dr. Safford has a lot of pull or know where a few bodies are buried. They're giving her free reign for now, but this whole thing stinks to me. They're being held in separate rooms. None are in the brig and none have been allowed to speak to a lawyer. I don't know what Safford is up to, but as you said, this station is not so vast that secrets don't get out or rumors won't spread. Vasily said, thank you for your candor, Lieutenant. You know that I will issue the writs in my case. This will provide a record and should alleviate any fallout you might suffer. Vasily knew Tasha's thinking. He showed up at Taylor's office with the writs and a gaggle of lawyers, one for each member of the team. His investigators discovered that Skarsgård had last been seen with Tasha, so there was an attorney for him as well. This reconnaissance in force had the desired effect. Soon he and Tasha were alone, and he could get her 
side of the story. Tasha said, Vasily, I'm glad our contingency plan worked. You know me and my mouth. It was only a matter of time before I got myself into trouble. Do you think you can at least spring us from detention? I've made a lot of plans and I need to set them in motion. Morozhov replied, I'm confident I can get you out of here at least. My next step is to see the actual charges and evidence. They can't hold you for more than 48 hours without filing. And I've started the clock from the time of your arrest. They'll try to shift that around, but they won't get away with it. I'll make sure they understand what a scandal this could be if they don't start cooperating. This is no different than Russia, the United States, or Japan. Politicians make laws which sound fair on the surface, but ignore them whenever they find it convenient. I try to make things as uncomfortable for them as possible. Chapter 8. Point of No Return Munis had a legal process of sorts. It was an amalgam of statutes and procedures from each Earth government making up the station. Vasily remarked to Tasha, In essence, what prevails here is a Byzantine mixture of social controls which have ruled Earth for the last 500 years. There's not one lawyer or judge able to explain it, let alone understand it. This is Earth's version of the new frontier, when in fact, we're just transplanting everything we knew was broken and never had the will to change. Tasha said, I'm not complaining, Vasily. I know it is all so much seat-of-the-pants BS, and when you confront them, they know it too. For now, I'm glad to be at least under house arrest and confident you'll take us the rest of the way. I told you they had no evidence. I'd just like to nail Colleen and Thomas for this witch hunt. Can we at least sue them for false arrest and false imprisonment? In response, Morozhov said, the powers of Dr. Safford and the committee are not well defined for the standard reasons. If they're spelled out too concretely, then there's no room for abuse. Unfortunately, old-fashioned public shaming is one thing they may respond to. I'm working on that. Even in this place, they can't censor everything without looking like ogres. Your logs got out, but they can only find you for that. Safford telling you to leave those people behind is not doing wonders for her image. Tasha sighed. I know. I didn't really expect much. And besides, I have other matters to attend to. You're a great lawyer, but if my plans work out, I won't need your services much longer. I see they've taken away my computers and communication devices. You know they can't really do that without violating their own protocols. The security guard outside the door signaled that Vasily's time was nearly up. He said, Your team and Mr. Skarsgård are hanging tough. Actually, we're close to getting Riley, Chu, and Montrose set free as they were following your lead. I don't buy that defense, but they do. Not that any of you were in the wrong in the first place. That's progress. Tasha asked, Is there any problem with the messages we're sending? I don't want you to get into trouble along with us. Morozhov replied, So far, it is not a problem, but we've been discreet. We're representing you as a group, and as a group, you have the right to plan your own defense. Frankly, I don't see this case ever seeing a courtroom. It would be too embarrassing for Dr. Safford. 
Tasha adjusted the glasses she only used for extensive reading and writing. She quickly tapped out two notes. Take this message to Brandon and this one to Riley. I'm not counting my chickens before they're hatched. It's better that you and your staff don't look at them. They're coded so you wouldn't be able to read them anyway. While we're at it, I want to send a message to Anofe across the way. Let me see your viewer again. The lawyer hesitated, but Tasha said, I'm posting an encrypted message draft on a throwaway address both Anofe and I have access to. As far as I know, there's nothing illegal about that. Slowly, Vasilia slid the viewer over to Tasha, who began punching in a set of numbers and letters. After Vasily left, Tasha took stock of her quarters. She traveled pretty light as there were few opportunities to accumulate material clutter in this place. Things could be replaced in time. Her sanity was more important. Mars was like living in New Zealand or Easter Island in the 21st century. Goods had to travel a long way and that made them expensive. In the new settlements, the colonists were extremely creative in their repairs. They were masters in recycling and utilization of natural resources for the manufacture of bare essentials and luxury items. Tasha could be as well if there weren't so much red tape. Taking a look around, she knew now that she would not miss this place so much or Earth either. She only hoped Brandon was still committed. Three days later, Tasha was able to speak with Olsen face to face. She said, I guess being so short of engineers or those qualified to repair toaster ovens, there was no choice but to grant us work releases. Ole Skarsgård is grounded, of course, but allowed to attend to administrative duties in managing the other pilots. They silently exchanged more messages between their devices. Elise Forensics had returned her viewer and one of her computers. Brandon said, did you hear? They've let Riley, Montrose, and Chu go without pressing charges. Tasha replied, I didn't think they would get into serious trouble. They've got nothing, and this thing is turning into one big Charlie Fox. Vasily says even the prosecutors are leery of this one, and they routinely nail people with far less evidence without losing any sleep. We've got a little too much public support. Just be ready when the time comes. Personnel quarters each had one main entry and one emergency exit. Guards were placed outside of both in a house arrest. At 2.30 a.m., Tasha was awakened by the vibrating alarm on her wrist viewer. Having gone over her list several times, she'd packed everything hours ago. Slipping into the walk-in closet, she removed two of the floor plates exposing the access corridor and lowered her bags into the one-and-a-half-meter square tunnel before ducking in herself. Taking one last look at her home for the last two years, she pulled the floor plates back into position. Slowly, she made her way along the corridor toward the closest concourse. Navigating in this cramped space was not as simple as she would have liked. The older sections of Munis were laid out like a 21st century airport with several wings containing outside airlocks instead of gates. It was 145 yards to her destination. 150 centimeters was too short for standing, so Tasha had to crawl the entire distance. The tunnels had many access points, as they were designed only for repairs, not for travel. After half an hour, 
She arrived at the endpoint to find Brandon sitting there, thumbing through his viewer. He said, The access plates are still screwed down. Are you sure you got the message across? Tasha said, Don't worry. She'll be here. She also has to secure the rover, and that takes a little stealth. Despite her reassuring Brandon, she was a bit nervous. Riley should have been here by now. It took another 15 minutes, but they could just barely hear someone walking overhead, then stopping. Riley took every precaution, though this part of the complex had little traffic. Still, no one would have given a second thought to someone in maintenance coveralls raising a floor plate. Light from the concourse above floated into the tunnel as the plates slid back. As the bags were handed up, Riley quickly grabbed them and pushed them through the airlock the rover docked to the far side of the outer bulkhead. Just then, Tasha heard a loud whisper from the darkness. Hold up there, guys. I had a few wrong turns back there, but I made it. Pulling his bags behind him, Skarsgård emerged into the beam of light shining through the floor above. Tasha said, It's about time. I thought we'd have to leave you behind. Oli smiled, replying, Better late than never. Are all aboard that's going aboard? Called Riley from the driver's seat. Ole, you can ride shotgun this time, if it's all the same to you. He replied, You'll get no argument from me. Tasha said, The hatch is tight and the station airlock has released. Let's get out of here. Riley was using the IR navigation beams reserved for dust storms, bouncing them off the roadside reflectors. It was less conspicuous than turning on the headlights, plus it had other uses. Another vehicle was already parked at the crossroads in no man's land. This was the open area between the new settlements and Munis, Past incidents and disagreements, such as Senator Cho's attempted annexation of the frontier, resulted in this unofficial neutral zone. Riley said, Tasha, this looks like your people. I'm getting the confirmation signal in IR just a few more minutes. Riley maneuvered the rover past the other vehicle, then reversed to line up their rear hatches. The vehicle's AI guided them the last 10 feet. There was a reassuring thud as the sound of the latches engaged. As the three refugees transferred their baggage to the other rover, Riley got out of her seat. There were tears in her eyes as she said, Tasha, I'm really going to miss you. We all are. Then she gave Tasha a long hug. Tasha was also sobbing. I'm going to miss you too, Susan. Don't be a stranger, okay? The same goes for the rest of the team. I'll let you know what's going on as soon as we're situated. Riley then hugged Brandon and finally Skarsgård. I'm going to miss you too, even if you are a hot dog. Having flown back to the new settlements hours before, Enofi was there to greet them. He made sure the hatch was secured. Tasha said, Sorry, I didn't have time to explain, Enofi. It was best for us to do a transfer out here rather than have a Frontier rover pick us up directly. Safford has moved up to level two crazy, acting like we're about to be bombed or invaded. It's all part of the act. Enofi laughed. 
This is not a problem. It is SOP from my understanding of the government mindset. The crisis must be created before it can be solved. The two vehicles went their separate ways, Riley back to Muniz and Kalu's rover toward the frontier. The three had arranged lodgings and all decided to sleep in after an eventful night. Later that morning, Thomas Safford stopped by his aunt's office, knowing she had breakfast catered there every morning. He just knew one day he would be sitting in that chair. Dr. Safford glared at him as he spread Erzot's cream cheese over his Erzot's bagel. Thomas, if you're here for money again, I can't help you. Thomas replied, Of course not, Auntie Colleen. I'm only here to give you additional information on the Kalu gang. I think there's some major project about to start, and that's why his survey team was way out across the valley. Dr. Safford was dubious, but asked anyway, So what makes you think so? Give me something more concrete. Thomas reached for another bagel and topped off his coffee. Well, there's a new hot currency moving around on the frontier. I think it has to do with a big project he's connected with. It's called Kieli. Also, AI analysis came up with a 72% probability for the phrase Star Olympus, whatever that means. Maybe that's a code name for whatever this project is, and they need a new currency to raise money. It's too early to tell. We could always say they're financing a terrorist plot. Dr. Safford didn't want to admit it, but sometimes Thomas could demonstrate real critical thinking skills. He was just too lazy to exercise them. She said, That could be very useful, Tommy. I'll do some checking and see what I come up with. Continue to use the administration AIs when it won't interfere with routine operations. Her assistant then came to the door. Ma'am, security is out here, and they say... Neither Brandon Olson nor Tasha Nagorski have emerged from their quarters. Their work schedule started at 8 a.m. Dr. Safford glanced at her viewer. It was 9.18. She had a sinking feeling. Send whoever it is in here, please. Taylor came in with a very serious look on his face. I'm sorry to bother you, Dr. Safford, but neither Nagorski nor Olson went to breakfast this morning or appeared for their shift. I've got people bypassing the doors of their rooms right now for a welfare check. Skarsgård is on the afternoon shift, but we're doing the same for his quarters. Just then, Taylor's viewer vibrated with an incoming message. He informed her, Ma'am, Olson's and Nagorski's quarters have been opened. There's no one in either apartment. Thomas dropped his bagel, getting cream cheese all over his pants. Dr. Safford said, are you serious? Take me to Nagorsi's quarters right this minute. We'll just see about this. Lieutenant Jedediah Taylor led Dr. Safford to Tasha's quarters. Thomas was supposed to be working in the biolab just now, but tagged along. Three security officers and a woman from forensics were combing over the space. The room was spartan, but neat with bed made, dishes wash, and bathroom spotless. The forensic analyst came out of the bedroom saying, Well, I believe I've discovered how she got out unseen. Most of her clothes are gone.
and her personal items are missing. I'd say she's gone for good. Taylor responded. Thank you, Madiwa. Could you show us, please? The technician brought them to the closet. You see there? Dr. Safford was growing impatient. See what? Thomas said from behind. Look at those two floor plates. The bolts are missing. There was no one here to screw them back in. Adding to the interim chairman's humiliation, Lieutenant Taylor was laughing, though he tried to stifle it. Dr. Safford asked, And just what do you think is so damn funny, Lieutenant? He said, I might be a cop, but I can still admire a clever escape. It looks like you've been Shawshanked. Safford unconsciously snapped the pen she had in her hand, trying to maintain control. And just what does that mean? Taylor said, Ma'am, these access tunnels run all over the station. She could have gone anywhere or out any airlock. If she's gone, she's had several hours head start. Pardon me one second. Speaking into his wrist viewer, he said, Aruki, Musa, check the closets first. See if any panels or the access tunnels have loose or missing screws. It seems that's how Nagorski got out. Safford said, Lieutenant, when you are finished here, I want personnel to inventory everything in this place. The same goes for the quarters of Olsen and Skarsgård. Come, Thomas, let's leave these people to their work. She turned, and with the rapid clacking of her heels, she was gone. The next day, Dr. Safford was informed of a nocturnal delivery consisting of steel cables, spools, air tanks, tools, and supplies near one of the Munis landing pads. The modular freight elevator with the Molly Brown nameplate was there alongside the two missing Class A loaders. Taped to the outside of one vehicle was a complete inventory. Riley and Montrose made sure to inform everyone they ran into, knowing the station bulletins would never report it. Included were funds earmarked for the repayment of earth transportation expenses incurred by Nagorski, Olson, and Skarsgård prorated for their time on the job. Anofi Kalu had arranged interim quarters for Tasha, Brandon, and Ole while they got settled into their new lives. Meeting for dinner one night at Uritzi, a Mexican restaurant, Tasha asked, So what are you going to do, Ole? It's not like you planned this move far in advance. The pilot replied, Well, I don't have to rush into anything. I've squirreled away some real assets from my side ventures. I figure I have some marketable skills here as a pilot in flight logistics or maintenance of spacecraft. What about you two? Tasha replied, I guess we can tell you after a recent ordeal. Anofi has hooked us up with a project called Star Olympus. It's a startup building a commercial mass driver on the slopes of Olympus Mons. If you're interested, there's probably a place for you. Though Anofi is the one to talk to. Not that you'd say anything, but we're keeping it hush-hush until there's no longer possible. Skarsgård grinned. Wow, the fur is really going to fly when folks find out about that. The guys moving cargo every day know that's long overdue, but the corporate types will definitely see it as a threat. They make too much money overcharging Earth governments for poor service, fuel processing, and backdoor expediting fees. 
Those survey crews have their work cut out for them, Tasha said. Actually, most of the survey work is done. They started on the slopes of Olympus first to prove everything was feasible. They're working from both directions. You might have wondered why maglev tracks had been built so far out into the valley. The construction is due to begin soon in the opposite direction, if it hasn't already. Knowing Enofe, he and his crew have been flying under the radar for quite some time. There are lava tubes all over that volcano, so I'll bet that's where much of the infrastructure is in. Brandon and I just signed on, so we don't know all the details. Ole responded, Those drivers won't be piloted initially if they're just sending up fuel or spacecraft subassemblies. The acceleration for cargo can be pretty high, and they'll want some revenue flowing ASAP. Won't be a great need for pilots. Brandon said, no, not at first, but the flight operations have to be managed and the tankers have to meet up with piloted ships. Once those tracks are long enough, acceleration can be dialed back for passengers and crews. Tasha smiled as she adjusted her makeup. I can tell you're interested, Oli. If you can get me a resume, I'll run it by Anofi and the hiring committee. Skarsgård tried not to look over eager as he probed. If you could do that, I would really appreciate it. You know, I spent a couple of years on Luna working for a mass driver company. If they need people with experience before stirring the pot, i.e. hiring away experienced employees from other companies, I could make myself useful. Tasha said, I'm sure you could put all that into your resume. You were a manager at the Munis docks and used to wearing a lot of hats. That's just what startups need. You won't be bored. Of course, it sounds too good to be true, said the pilot. What are the downsides for this venture? Tasha put her makeup away and her smile disappeared. I'm not sure that anyone knows the answer to that question. You saw what happened to Anofi's crew on our little rescue mission. There are a lot of unknowns. The volcano was riddled with lava tubes, which I'm sure will be used to advantage. It is underground, and tunneling always carries risks, even after the boring machines are out. Natural tubes or newly bored shafts could still be unstable. Plus, there are always supply shortages, breakdowns for vehicles and communications, injuries, etc. We've got to be ready for anything. Chapter 9. Let There Be Light With their contracts signed, Anofi took Tasha and Brandon on an excursion to Olympus Mons. I hope you two know what you bargained for, because... We'll be hitting the ground running on this job, Tasha answered. Enofe, you know me well enough by now, or at least my reputation. This is what I live for. There were several others with them in the large multi-purpose rover, James J. Hill. The rig was designed with life support for two weeks or more with eight people and up to 400 miles range, depending on the terrain. Brandon asked, do you have power stations and atmosphere processors all the way up the slope? Where do you hide it all? Kalu smiled as he pointed both index fingers at the floorboards. Tasha guessed it. Most of our reactors are underground. We could never be sure, but I believe we've kept everything quiet. 
from any competition on Mars, Earth, or Luna. We do get the occasional drone poking around, plus a few satellites, but we know their schedules and take precautions. We've filed claims for all of the rights of way we plan to use. Those offices can, can let people know that the parcels are taken, but only when applicants try to file a conflicting claim, Tasha said. Or if other survey crews show up where you've already been. That's the way of it. Once people find out someone is actually proceeding, all of a sudden the impossible becomes possible. That's when the rush starts. The James J. Hill made stops at several relay power stations and work crew habitats, moving up the northeast slope of the dead volcano. Brandon was still astonished by his tour so far. Still, I see plenty of earth hardware here. Not much equipment can be manufactured locally, can it? Tasha replied, you might be surprised the superconducting track sections are made here already. A good portion of the power distribution throughout the free settlements come from the same facility. She laughed. You're probably talking about the reactors and fuel, right? Well, there are always ways to transport certain items from Earth that are less talked about there than here. Brandon smiled. Ah, yes, you mean Kanaloa? should have guessed that would come into the mix. This project has Viva Machines and Van Leeuwen Corporation written all over it. Canaloa makes perfect sense if you want to keep the grubby paws of government contractors and regulators off your back. Those are still private corporations, I take it. They put a lot of time, money, and effort into their floating city. I still don't know how they fend off the intimidation campaigns of various navies with their spy ships and submarines. Enofi added, Many settlements in the Sahara tried and failed to escape the grasp of faraway protectors, but were only partially successful. Kanaloa has some extra help, which no one can really figure out, but it keeps any ideas of annexation off the table. Ships, planes, and satellites experience unexplained technical problems. It's like Canaloa is the center of a new Bermuda Triangle far out in the Pacific. Tasha continued. So that's where modular reactor subassemblies are launched, along with thorium fuel and other essentials. None of the companies there will contract with a government entity period or government subcontractors whenever possible. Their operations are far away from any interference. The other new hire, Oli, has said, so this thing is really close. I mean, you've done almost everything but lay track on the northern slopes and approaches. This is going to get interesting very soon. Enofe replied, That is correct, sir. The first shipments of track for the drivers and communication lines will begin arriving in a week. On the surface, of course. Then it would be obvious to our competitors what we are doing. In less than six weeks, the James J. Hill and a fleet of similar vehicles were outfitted for laying track. Brandon was aboard the Pavonis Mons, but overseeing operations of the Arcea Mons and the Ascreus Mons. Stockpiles of track were staged from each power relay station, along a line moving up the slope and southwest toward the caldera. Once above the steep cliffs surrounding most of Olympus Mons, routes would branch out, 
in other directions. These were for attaining orbits closer to the desired angle of inclination. Tasha moved from station to station, overseeing the build-out of each facility where required, meaning the additional lava tube carve-outs. The boring company was well established on Mars, though not all of their equipment was manufactured there. They were taking on new ventures, nonetheless. Ole was back in the new settlements, working with their engineers to finalize launch vehicle designs and construction or a modification of prototypes. Tasha contacted Riley after a hard day's work. Susan, it's good to see you, even if it's only on the viewer. I know we've only chatted a few times since we left, but I've been super busy lately. Is Colleen still on the warpath? Riley chuckled. That's difficult to say. I don't know if I have ever seen her smile more than a couple of times, but at least we're not still on lockdown. She really couldn't keep that up forever and justify the wasted resources. That could be changing, though. Have you heard of the activity on Olympus Mons? I mean, that has this place really buzzing at the moment. Tasha did not answer the question, but asked, So what is the story there? What do they think is going on? Riley was puzzled by this, but continued, well, your media is more reliable than ours, but but maybe you don't have many on the frontier operating satellites. This is all we've managed to gather. Suddenly, a whole bunch of what appear to be outposts have shown up on Olympus Mons with growing stockpiles of materials or supplies. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Tasha did not want to mislead her friend, so answered, Susan... I do know what is going on, but I'm not at liberty to discuss it per my contract. Needless to say, the purpose will become apparent before much longer. I've told you more than I should, but be patient for now, okay? Riley laughed. I should have guessed, but don't worry, my lips are sealed. Whatever it is, I'm sure it will be epic. In the meantime, did you know that you, Brandon, and Ole are basically wanted fugitives here? I mean, I'm sure you guys knew what you were doing, but it seems like Safford is really making a big deal about it. Making an example of you guys. Oh, and I probably shouldn't tell you this, but Thomas Safford is now assistant chief of the Canadian Biolab. Keeping a twinge of disgust in check, Tasha said, I expected Colleen to be off the deep end for a while, but yes, we knew what we were doing, Brandon and I at least. I've been pondering this move for quite a while. As for Thomas, it is irritating, but until you mention him, I haven't given Munis a second thought, save for you and a few others I do miss. Back to the original subject. Just what are you hearing about Olympus Mons? I mean, what is the fuss about? Tasha detected the amused eye roll of her friend. Wow, Tash, you really have put this all behind you. You know how these government scientists are. They still think of Mars as their private reserve for planetary studies. In spite of every conflict between Earth and the frontier, they think it's all going to change someday. A big project like this is no different than any development on Earth. They think they know best and have the final say over every bit of gravel being moved. When colonists started that maglev line, 
out into the valley, there was grumbling then. So I'll bet this is all part of the same venture, isn't it? Tasha winked. You're right. I forget what busybodies those bureaucrats are. I mean, isn't Earth enough for them? Governments grab so much land and water with their military reserves, game reserves, national monuments, world heritage sites, national parks, etc., etc. Why should I be surprised that they haven't given up on Mars yet? It doesn't matter that the free colonists make most of the scientific discoveries, find most of the minerals, and show far more respect for the land. Riley added, Don't lump everyone into that same pot, Tasha. Cassini and a number of engineers are so starved for meaningful work for salivating over any new infrastructure expansion and jealous. You and Brandon know most of them. At Munis, Dr. Safford scaled back the internal restrictions. She was now focused on developments on Olympus Mons. She called to her assistant. Please show Dr. Cassini in. This was the last place Cassini wished to be just now, and he entered slowly. Please sit down, sir. We have new satellite imagery, and I would like your professional opinion. Cassini only nodded before slowly sitting down to await the interim chairman's questions. As the large wall viewer came to life, the room darkened slightly, revealing the unmistakable image of Olympus Mons. I'm sure you're aware, Doctor, of the recent activity on Olympus. I was hoping you could identify some of the machinery or any items you see here. Safford panned and zoomed to the base of the volcano in the north-northeast region. What do you make of this? Do you recognize anything here? Cassini's opinions of the chairman's latest witch hunt were forced aside by his professional curiosity. He quickly rose, walking over to the display. Preferring old-fashioned spectacles to surgery, he pulled them from his pocket. Could you magnify another 50%, please, and span upward? Thank you. You see these two vehicles? Look at the dimensions of the forward structure here and the rack here. Now pan left. Saffer knew he was on to something, but was impatient. So, what are we looking at, Doctor? Cassini smiled and may have even chuckled quietly. Safford wasn't sure. Well? Cassini was shaking his head in awe and amazement. They're finally doing it. Magnifico. Dr. Safford could no longer stand it. Just what is so damn magnifico? Still shaking his head, the engineer said, it is a railroad, a railroad to the stars. Still irritated, Safford said, impossible. We've talked about this for 20 years with every new program ending in cost overruns or technical issues. How could those colonists possibly have the resources to build such a thing? What makes you so sure that is what they're doing? Dr. Safford, those vehicles are retrofitted for laying maglev track and conduit. You see, the span here and here is the same as those modular sections to the left. At least this is how they will begin until vehicles specialized for laying the prefabricated pallets arrive. Ask the computer to measure the vehicles and stocks. 
Their gauges will match. Safford knew the engineer was right, but went ahead and took measurements of the pallets and the vehicles. They were identical. The humiliation of asking the computer to search by voice command was too great, so she typed in a search of typical maglev track schematics. The numbers were the same for industrial mass drivers used on Luna. She sat back to ponder what this could mean. After an uncomfortable pause, Cassini asked, Dr. Safford, could I have a look at the rest of those images? Briefly snapping from her thoughts, Safford granted control of the viewer to this engineer, who was as excited as a little boy. Sure, knock yourself out. As the scientists sat there stewing, Cassini went over every sector. She barely noticed him zooming in on various images. He chattered to himself in Italian while entering numbers into his own viewer. Si, si, avvicinati, tali e lanciati verso est, excelente. Gradually, Safford emerged from her reverie to watch as Cassini energetically bounced from one image to another. Dr. Cassini, have you any further revelations? The engineer turned to say, Si, bueno, I mean, yes, Dr. Safford, let me show you. As you know, most approaches to the summit are impossible due to the steep cliffs. The easiest way to the caldera is here, from northeast to southwest. I've highlighted the way stations, and they appear to follow the most likely routes. Judging by the stockpiles, the first route meanders to the west side, then up the slope toward the caldera where the payloads will launch. If you look closely here, you can see where the roadbed has been prepared. That hard volcanic rock will make the most stable foundation one could ask for. With an acceleration of 6G, they'll achieve orbit in 110 kilometers. At 3G, they need twice that distance, but better for human passengers, see? The tracks from the new settlements must be for moving cargo to the launch point or other stops along the line. This is very exciting. Exciting was not the word Dr. Savard had in mind at this moment. Yes, yes, thank you, Doctor, for your valuable input. I won't monopolize your precious time. Thank you for coming in. We will distribute this and any new data to each department head as it comes in. Cassini wasn't sure if she would follow up on that promise. He had entered the most important data in his personal viewer for now. He only said, Grazie, Dottore, thank you, and left. Colleen Safford was not pleased by the prospect of trusting her nephew with anything important, but she needed information. Thomas was throwing darts in his office when the wall viewer signaled an incoming call. Hurriedly stashing the darts in his desk drawer, he answered, Yes, Auntie Colleen? I mean, Dr. Safford? I'm quite busy here, Dr. Safford said. I'll write a note to the director. I need you to come to my office, ASAP. Thomas tried to disguise a sigh and smiled and said, I will be there in five minutes. With the call ending, he figured she did pull a few strings to get him this cushy job so he would play along. To himself, he muttered, my AI analysis isn't netting much information, so I need to earn some brownie points. When Thomas entered, she smiled. How are things going with the new job? 
So far, I've heard only good things. This was so unlike her, the forced smile put Thomas immediately on guard. Then thought, she must really want something. Maybe I can use this to my advantage. Still, he was wary. Er, just great, Dr. Safford. Everything is humming along. We have some new potato strains shaping up nicely. She said, splendid, splendid. I must commend you on your deduction regarding the activities of Mr. Kalu, Ms. Nagorski, Mr. Olson, and whatever consortium of colonists they're working with. There is something happening on Olympus Mons, and now I have a good idea what it is. Let me show you the latest satellite images. Once again, the room dimmed and the large viewer was activated. Cassini's markup was still there, but she proceeded as if this was her own analysis. Thomas was mesmerized by what he saw, but kept his comments to a minimum, saying only, that looks like quite an extensive undertaking. I'll bet people on Earth will be greatly interested. But what is it that you want of me? I mean, this is a frontier project, not any kind of terrorist plot. His aunt said, it is indeed a frontier project, as you say. It is also true that many here, as well as on Earth, will want the latest and most accurate information. This is where you come in, Thomas thought. Okay, here it comes, but said, I'm not sure how I can help. What do you have in mind? Dr. Safford just smiled and said, you're in the habit of going across, so you know the lay of the land when it comes to frontier activities. I need you to be my eyes and ears. Gather as much information possible on this. Who is behind it? Meaning backers, partners, key personnel, etc. Despite being a frontier project, as you say, there are other interests to consider. She did not have to spell it out, Thomas thought. What she really means is that I know people from several sectors, including a few in low places. They both knew he didn't have a great deal of choice in the matter, so he said, Sure thing, Dr. Safford. I'll find out everything I can. Colleen Safford did not want this new development to bite her before turning it to her advantage. Knowledge was power, and she wanted to be the go-to person on Mars for the shot callers in the U.N., and the more powerful governments. She wanted this sooner rather than later. She freshened her makeup and made sure her hair looked presentable. Seated behind her desk, she instructed an office drone to take a position opposite. Silent ion propulsion moved the drone into position. Begin recording, said the interim chairman, to the Secretary General of the United Nations, the Honorable Mr. Zafri Rahman, a few days later, Tasha Nagorski was overseeing the expansion of a habitat complex at the base of the mountain. She told the tunnel crew, I've marked out where to cut based upon ground radar and seismic measurements. In about 22 meters, you'll break through to another lava tube. That should give us plenty of space for the foreseeable future. These were good crews, and not being a micromanager, she went back to her temporary office. Crews were running on two shifts, and as Tasha had always been a workaholic, she was still in her office nine hours later. She received a frantic call from the cutting crew boss. 
Ms. Nagorski, could you please come in to the north side carve out? We've broken through and we need a decision. I might attempt to describe the problem, but that wouldn't do it justice. You need to see this for yourself. Dixon out. Had she been back at Munis, Tasha would be annoyed, donning a pressure suit at this hour. These are good people, she said to herself. They wouldn't call if it wasn't important. She exited the airlock of the temporary offices enclosed in a large tube, 57 feet below the Martian service. When the relay station was finished, much of this space would be filled, but now it was only bare rock. The facility and floodlights illuminating the cavern were powered by portable liquid fluoride thorium reactors, LFTRs. Making her way north about 85 yards, she noticed the tunneling rigs had backed out of their burrows. Some of the crews were inside the vehicles, but silhouettes of several more milled about before the borehole entrances. Getting closer, she recognized the figure waving his arms as the foreman, Chet Dixon. Switching her helmet to the common channel, she said, Okay, Dixon, I'm here. Can you tell me what the problem is? The foreman turned to see her coming. Oh, am I glad you're here. Like I said before, you'll have to see it to believe it. I've seen it, and I still don't believe it. Just come this way, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Tasha walked with Dixon to the leftmost borehole. As they entered, she could see light at the other end. But oddly, there were no cables on the floor of the passageway. The end opening was the full diameter of the machine, so the crew had indeed broken through to another cavern. When they stepped through, Tasha gasped, Oh my God! This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Dixon waited several seconds for his boss to take it in, then said quietly, That's the same reaction all of us had, ma'am. Tasha and her foreman stood at one wall of a lavatory, maybe a hundred yards in diameter. There was no accurate sense of scale without laser rangefinders. There was no telling how far the space extended in the axial directions. Nearly every surface of the tube emitted a soft glow. There were distinct bands, stripes, or patches in every color of the rainbow. Tasha turned to take it all in, then bent down for a closer look at the ground near her feet. Holding steady, she let her helmet cameras take in the life in front of her. Their resolution was far superior to hers, but that did not displace her sense of wonder. She said, Chet, you know, this is a huge discovery. The colonists have found only isolated microbes before, and nothing like this. Let's get the shafts sealed as soon as possible. I hope you've enjoyed this program, written and presented by author Michael James Sharon, in conjunction with my many science fiction novels. Please visit the website, michaelsbookcorner.com, to see what is on offer. A complimentary ebook is available for joining the mailing list. This podcast is available on most outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Anchor FM, Amazon, and also on YouTube under the playlist Science or Fiction. Look for the host on Instagram, medium.com, or Twitter under at classic underscore sci underscore five. Thank you.